Holman, I can safely say I've never seen a toolbox quite like that. Why? You mean this pretty? The, that is well, functional. It's, it's bright blue on the top, and a beautiful molded plastic. Looks like something that might hold either Legos or some kind of tackle. tackle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right. uh, very rugged. It's even got a ruler on the top. Oh, um, yeah, it does. Made in the USA. Okay. Um, is this made by, let me guess, Decked? So I go into the office today, mm-hmm. and on my desk is a box mm-hmm. from our new sponsor, Decked. Well, I, when I got to the office, there was not a box. A- and I checked the label. Of, yeah. It specifically said to Sean Holman and had your name not on it. So well, <laughs> I decided that I would bring don't, it in and gloat. Don't be a dick. Oh. I mean, where they, really? They only sent one? Uh, they only sent one. <laughs> what? What? What do I chop liver over here? I, well, it, I mean, you know, I I don't know. Maybe Greg likes me better, but uh, what I do know is they love the Truck Show podcast, and uh, they sent us some swag. So when you open it up, we've got a little gasket here, keeps everything from getting wet or dusty. We've this got is uh, it's, it's like a larger version of like a Pelican case or something. Yeah. But it, this, it so fits we, inside the drawers though. Oh, like I, made I have seen yeah. this. Okay, so yeah. this is this is very got cool. a uh, deck koozie. We got some uh, deck construction pencils. You know the kind that use a knife to sharpen on the construction site, like a manly pencil. Sure. I think I'm going to send these to my daughter's school with a knife, and then show her, <laughs> teach her how pencils really should be. Uh, used. I don't think they'll appreciate okay, that. Okay, we won't yeah. do that then. Uh, we got some uh, deck stickers. We got a deck trucker hat, a deck yeti koozie, and uh, a decked grip six belt, which is one of those infinitely adjustable belts. Which means that after I eat a lot of wiener schnitzel, I just let it out a little bit. And normally you're like. But two holes is too much, and one isn't enough. Well, <laughs> now thanks to decked, I I'm solid. And so, uh, are you decked out and decked? I am. Yeah, we we are decked and decked because I will share some of these wares with you. Okay, well that's fantastic. Now, will we be putting this decked toolbox in the decked drawer in our Nissan? Uh, we might because it'll fit perfectly in there. Now, are we putting it in our Nissan Frontier or in our Nissan the NV2500? Yes. Uh, we actually uh, have a deck system in our NV2500. Oh, so we're not putting it down because we already have one. We already have one, and we don't have a Nissan Frontier, but we uh, have had Nissan Titans with decks in the back. So special thanks to the deck for sending us uh, this little care package, and uh, special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Nissan, for uh, supporting the Truck Show podcast. The takeaway here is decked. And Nissan has the best warranty on the planet. Is right? Is that the takeaway? Five year, hundred thousand mile. And both of those companies are what's bringing you this episode of the Truck Show podcast. And it's a gooder. The Truck Show. We're gonna show you what we know. We're gonna answer what the truck. Cause truck rides with. Truck show. We have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. Holman, all right, so I have a question for you. Okay, I'm ready. What if for 30 years, People were buying aftermarket rear differential covers because they, well, they thought that they were cool looking and that they held more oil. Yeah. So they were supposedly cooling the oil better. And probably longevity of the oil because you have more volume. Right. So after 30 years of, of buying these tens of thousands of American men bolting these things on the ass end of their trucks because- Looks cool, and we believe that they're going to do some good for my truck. Okay, got it. Right? Ring and pinion, longevity of the rear end. And then someone comes along and says, 
do these things actually work? I mean, because I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I know the video series you've been involved in. And okay. Work. I think it's fascinating. I think there's a ton of info to be learned. But it's, I don't know if I have the I'm, same conclusion. I'm, so it's interesting. So you guys are, if you haven't, and you probably haven't, because, well, it's only, the videos have only reached 5 million people. Yeah, so probably not our listeners. Here's how this went down. I'm Lightning. He's Holman. It's the Truck Show Podcast. I went to Lone Star Throwdown. When was that? Back in March, I want to say. Yeah, I think that's right. Outside of, outside of Houston, Texas. I don't know. There was hundreds and hundreds of trucks. Can't wait to go next year. Really, really cool show. And I had just been hired by Gail Banks at Banks Power. And I was looking around for ideas and just, you know, I'm new and I had, hadn't white, even started. Product white space. Yeah, just looking. And, 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 and I already knew, because I had a truck, I had a mag high tech on the back of my truck. Sure. Great I, brand. Gr- amazing brand, right? And I looked around and said, every truck here, hundreds of trucks all had aftermarket rear differential covers on them. Why not? Because they supposedly cool the oil. They had larger capacities. And they were aluminum and they were finned. And there were a lot of uh, technical reasons. You could talk sure. yourself into buying one. Really, they just look cool. Yeah. Right? Or it was easy to drain the oil. Because easier they, than stock to drain because you don't have to break the uh, the seal. Or easier to fill. Or there's a magnet on the drain plug. Any of those things. So I come back and and I've, you know, and I'm all excited to, to build these things. Because I knew that, that Gail had never done one of these things. And I just kind of figured maybe it was beneath him or something. Because he does performance parts right where you can show really tangible results yeah right increase speed longevity whatever and i said hey i want to build these things and i because i, I want to help you brand the company and i think it'd be really neat having the bank's logo on the you know on the rear differential of all these all trucks all over america especially show trucks right and he says okay funny little guy you you uh <laughs> you do have your little project and you went, wait, one more project? What have I done? <laughs> right, yeah. And so I get with the art department, and we do a really cool design. I but saw it's, it. It's Very similar cool. to the Mag High Techs and yeah. ATSs and PPEs, and they all they all basically were like the Mag High Tech. They're the grandfather of the larger capacity aluminum rear differential cover, and right? that's when you got challenged. And so I make this thing, and I get with the CAD department, and they start, they 3D model it, and then we 3D print it. We're in North Engineering one day, and the door swings open, and half of my model, because it took 16 hours to print, right? half of the model was in the hands of Gail. And he says, someone explain this. Mm. He may have used some expletives, but he says, someone, <laughs> someone explain this. That's very simple for what I would imagine Gail saying to you. I'm, so, I'm simplifying here. He, he looked at me, and I said, I, I, I raised my hand and said, I, I did. You said I could run with this. And he's, then he says, okay, he's thinking, all right, new guy. I'm going to be, I'm going to have mercy on him. And he says, you guys don't know anything about fluid dynamics. And then he proceeds to immediately erase everything on the whiteboard that we had just written on the whiteboard with his form. Just, right. And he starts drawing furiously. Like I can imagine like, everybody in the room who had all their notes on that whiteboard. I hope somebody took their iPhone out and took a picture. Before. Well, we had so many mixed emotions at this point because <laughs> we had like, who's getting busted? Who's yeah. getting yelled at? Who's or, getting fired? Or who's getting fired? And it was, at the end of the day, it was me. And I was, I was the new guy and I was running with it. So this and, is your only job now? Uh, no, not my only job. Oh, what do you mean? My only job meaning this is You got fired. Th- You're, I'm, I, this is the prelude to you telling me you just got fired. Yeah, no, no. Oh, okay. I didn't get fired. Okay, good. Whoa, okay, no, man, luckily, right. no. Right, I was worried. I mean, I was fired. sitting here worried about that. No, that was, this happened back months ago. All right, there's a lot of buildup. I was hoping it would be a really good uh, ending. So it's interesting that that he starts drawing furiously and saying, this this weird differential cover that, you've, that you're making is not going to work. And, da, 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 and he says, this is a flawed design. I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. If you're saying that what I've just designed is flawed... Well, so are all the other covers on the market. 
it kind of dawned on all of us, this is the first time that anyone really questioned, do these larger capacity, flat-backed aluminum aftermarket diff covers, they were poorly designed, like it, from a fluid dynamic standpoint. Not and poorly designed from a quality of part, but no, poorly designed from a function. That is exactly right. So they're beautiful pieces. Yep. They're obviously attractive. Yep. And the quality, the and workmanship they on all of them. They adds utility to your truck. Seemingly, absolutely. Tens of thousands, maybe, maybe in the millions over the last 20 some odd years, 30 years. So then he, he assigns us a task. You guys can build one of these things. I'll put my name on it only when and if you show me the data that tells me how to, how to build it how to design this thing properly, um, where does the oil oxidize, like where does all, the, all these interesting uh, questions that he's got that, that we don't have any answers for, right? What's the curvature do I need? What is the temperature of this? Like what is the, what do the OEs recommend for your fill level? What happens if you overfill it? What happens if all you the use All the things you don't think about that go into that sort of thing. All of these things, right? And so we then immediately get on the phone and try to call Amsoil, Pennzoil, Castrol, Lubrizol, the company that makes all the additives. And no one will share any data with us. We say, well, that's interesting. They won't tell us when the oil boils, when it goes bad, how many miles, none of that stuff. They said, oh, it's all too, proprietary. They all, yeah, too, all proprietary, or it's just, um, um, it's too hard to pinpoint, or our oil never goes bad. I got that too. Then I look at all the differential cover companies, and no one has any claims. They just say larger capacity, more oil, cools. The cooling factor, none of them have any claims. So, I grabbed the video camera and I pointed at Gail one day and he's behind our, our lifted dually on the rack. It's got a, uh, the stock rear differential cover on it and we had outfitted it with some testing equipment and he poses the question to the world, do these things work or are they just bling? Flash forward to today, six weeks later, we've tested all the major manufacturers of these covers. We have tons of data points. We're almost 5 million views in. Wow. On four different videos. How many of those were you? Uh, <laughs> probably like, I was maybe a thousand. Probably like 30. Okay. <laughs> the reason I tell the story is I'm not saying that we're like appending. We are not Uber, right? I'm not changing the taxi industry. But we did question this one little part that a lot of guys have on the back of their trucks, right? And I guess it touched a chord because immediately upon posting that video, it got shared tens of thousands of times because everyone's like, oh my God, I have this cover. Or did it, does it work? I just spent $300. Or people just want to know how things work. You never get to see the, the that's true. The backside of water in your differential. That's true. Right? So we did two videos and the first two were asking, do these things work? And if so, how, and here's why they were designed. And we explained the ring and pinion. But then the third video that we shot, and I had to scramble to get this thing. There was a company that made clear plastic rear differential covers. And they went out of, well, they didn't go out of business. They stopped making these clear differential covers. They were called clear gears. Yeah. And, and I remember we actually shot one of them at JP Magazine. We were doing they a, stopped making them in like 2006. Doing a bulletproof diff cover deal. And we took uh, right. all sorts of calibers and shot a bunch of diff oh, covers. Did you really? No, really, really. That's funny. Then we make this where we wanted to show people what was actually happening inside of your rear differential because they could wrap their heads around like why it's so important that this cover is made a certain way, blah, blah, blah. It needs to be curved and follow the ring gear, et cetera. This video 
like within two days, it's on the homepage of Road and Track, Jalopnik, dude, Jiffy Lube. Oh, everywhere. Like everywhere. Yeah, no, it was crazy. Everywhere. And it was, and we were just sitting in the office going, this is bizarre. We just shot this two days ago in the whole, because I've never been part of like a quote unquote viral video. This is not a pop star doing 100 million views. I get that. That it's twerking just, video you did? That, <laughs> no, that didn't it didn't go, hit oh, that. Oh, oh, wow. It didn't hit that. So it's fascinating. It hit like four. So not a like, thousand, just four. So we haven't posted the last video that we've been promising uh, on Banks Power, which is the data that we've come up with. We're going to do that soon, but we're right in the middle of this thing, and it, it's it's wild. And I'm sure that there are some companies that make some of these covers that are less than happy. I would imagine that you, there will be some pushback. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, go to youtube.com slash Banks Power or to Banks Power's Facebook page, and you'll see the videos that we've posted you may have already seen them because I said they've hit a lot of the truck community. But, dude, Holman, I've never been part of something like this before. You know, I've never been part of a viral video. And luckily, it's not a bad thing where I, like, you know, drove a Mustang and into a crowd of kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, not, those are no good. I don't want to be part of one of those. But this is, this is I, interesting. I've been a part of one. Have you? Yeah. We did a uh, Facebook Live for Ram at the Texas State Fair, I think, three years ago when the TRX concept was up there. And uh, Jim Morrison and Ram uh, did a burnout on stage. And like wrapped up all the carpet and stuff, and it was pretty funny. And our organic video did like eight million views on Facebook. Oh wow! Well, see, you you like, just our silly. Ass. Like right. we we like we were just watching the numbers and watching the numbers, and we're like, when is this thing gonna end? Here's what I'm saying, Holman. What the truck? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, what the truck? How do you have an entire cottage industry within another industry of a part that everybody and their mom buys? Only to find out that maybe they're not what you thought they were. Um, I'm not going to lie. I've been watching the video series okay. and anxiously await the final one because I'm I'm curious. Like, what what is the result going to be? I, I have an idea. I don't know that I should. Man, do I say this? I can tell you that the data led us to a patent. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to go from my idea that got completely scrapped, right? Yeah, right. Into something that and then when somebody who had it, knowledge. Came in and, and made it better. Gail came in and, yeah, <laughs> scrapped my thing. But you know what? I will say that had I not gone to Lone Star Throwdown and come back and said, we need to do these things, and then got scolded, and if we hadn't gone through that, we wouldn't be changing this industry potentially. Pretty cool when you find out that the things you do at work have an impact and a lasting impact, hopefully. Uh, you know, I, I hope that, you know, through your career and through my career that we help educate more enthusiasts out there. I think that's what I love doing, and I know you enjoy it as well. Well, and I have, I'd also never been through the process where the, that research process where you uncover something that, you know, everyone thought to be true and wasn't. You know, I'm not saying that we didn't walk on the moon, but, <laughs> but I am saying... What the truck? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm anxious to stay tuned for the next uh, the next segment of uh, of your discovery here. And... Hopefully the Truck Show podcast can uh, can give you a little bit of behind the scenes of what ended up happening. What I'm kind of curious, too, is when you watch the videos, you guys are milling out the center of some of them so you can put the plexiglass in there right. and then putting lights in them. I'm kind of curious about how long did that take? What was that? I mean, we're not talking about now. I think that's- Well, I can tell you school. that we will never recoup the R&D that we spent on it. I can tell you that. And, yeah. and so I work at a really unique place where I'm working in someone's toy box. And, you know, you know, you know, Gail Banks. And I, I apologize in advance. This is not a commercial for I work. I swear to you. But um, it's just a really unique situation for me to be in. And 
I work where the guy who owns the place, it's not owned by a big corporation or anything, he gets to make what he wants. Yeah, still a family he, business. And if he doesn't want to make it, he doesn't make it. Like, yeah. nobody's forcing his hand. And he's, and he's like, if I can't improve on something, I don't care about it. I'm just not going to put it out. And um, and so he, until he realized that he could improve upon something, he didn't really care he about my interested. little. No, he didn't really care. And it's a side project that was a distraction. That's exactly and now, what it was. And now it's become something that you guys are focused on, which is really cool. Yeah. So we we didn't know what was happening inside of these rear differential covers. We could only theorize, right? Yeah. So we we gave uh, well, dude, I gave him Mag High Tech, and to Mike, our one of our engineers, uh, our mechanics, and he very carefully milled off the flat part of it. Yeah. And we affixed. And an you guys acr- put some of the videos. Acrylic. Let's not ruin the uh, the end result because I think watch the video; it's really cool. But just the idea of of taking a product and creating. Uh, a, a test piece that's you know has all the appropriate things in it for um, lighting and being able to see and sensors and you know all that kind of stuff and um, it's it's a fascinating process because I think people are really into how things are made and work and this if you don't care about diff covers I guarantee you you'll watch this and be interested in well, it. well I can tell you tens of thousands of people who watch this who don't give a rat's ass about yeah. a differential cover as a matter of fact the guy from Jalopnik said something about like watching this oil slosh around in the rear end of a truck is really soothing yeah, you know yeah, right. he wasn't even about any you know right, anything right, right. it wasn't mechanical in nature at all he just thought it was you know he was kind of like it's cool yeah it was it was funny to read that so enough about rear differential covers but i just wanted you guys you know we were talking to some listeners in the last episode about they wanted more personal stuff yeah, yeah. this is truly personal like i know i'm talking about my where i work but this is something what that is I'm that? currently right now you I'm a part of. You have two passion projects. This is one of them. And figuring out whether diff covers work or not is your other one, Isn't right? it so strange? Yeah. I could yeah. have never imagined this. Uh, I'll, I'll, share, uh, I'll share some personal stuff uh, on another episode because I think this episode has a lot of really cool stuff. I'm so, all right. So I've, got, I've delayed enough because we got two guests that I really want to get awesome to. So the tonight. first one is Herb Helbig, right? Yep. So he's now retired, but he was the vehicle synthesis. Uh, what? What was it? Vehicle synthesis? Senior manager of vehicle synthesis. Which just for... means, so he's taking like a, a a horse and and what and a pig and putting them together. Something What's he like doing? that, okay, yeah. Right? And making a horse oink or something. Right. <laughs> um, or, a, or a pig name. But really all we care about is yeah. that he was behind the, the Dodge SRT. Yeah. Right? The V10. Yeah, the SRT10 Ram pickup truck, which is also- Viper powered. Which is really known to most people as just simply the Viper truck. And uh, we've talked a lot about off-roading. We've had a lot of Raptor stuff. Obviously, Raptor, we've talked about it before, was born out of the Lightning. And before there was a Raptor and before there were off-road performance trucks, there were on-road performance trucks. You have the Chevy 454SS. You've got the GMC Cyclone. You've got the Ford Lightning. And Ram came to the party and absolutely just hammered down, dropped the mic. And you, the- you use this term a lot, which is hold my beer, yes. which is... When if you're in a party and the guy says, a lot of people may yeah. not understand your, your reference here. It's the guy's at a party and some guy does something stupid and the guy next to him says, hold on a second. Yeah. Hold my beer. I can do it better. I can do it better. Right. And so they crushed it. Herb Helbig speaking. Hold on. Are we, are we going to make Herb stand? He's, he's got to sit down. So pull up a stool. Pull up a stool and share. Pull up a stool and share a, a story. story. You pull up a stool and share with us. Man, it has been a long time since I've talked to you, my friend. Unfortunately, it might have actually been when we did the uh, the truck reveal back in the day. Yeah, it's probably been, yeah, at least uh, 10 years or something like that. Although we've kept up over uh, over email. So for all of our uh, our listeners out there, Herb's an old friend of mine who was the, uh, 
I guess the vehicle synthesis senior manager for performance vehicle operations, which was sort of the uh, the precursor to SRT. And Herb was and his team were responsible for the Viper. And so the truck guys might be going, okay, how does that dovetail into the truck show? But you may remember a limited production run of some very awesome Ram V10 Viper powered trucks. Also Herb's baby, and then that's basically where I got had a chance to meet him. Yeah, that was the uh, we had some great times in those days, boy. It was a, it was a busy time for us for sure. Well, it was funny because back then, you guys sort of had a, a carte blanche. It had to sort of be a, a dream period because while not everything at Daimler Chrysler at the time was was great, you guys were in a division that was tasked with basically making Halo vehicles to drive people to brands, and you guys were turning out some of the coolest vehicles around at the time. We were we were fortunate because when uh, Daimler came in and merged with Chrysler, they had a guy named Wolfgang Bernhardt, who was uh, the leader of AMG, you know, the high-performance division of Daimler Mercedes-Benz. And when he came over and introduced himself to us, it was like, dude, this guy gets it. And he was on the other side going, oh, my gosh, these guys really get it. So he became our champion. And, and we were really fortunate because we had two champions. We had Lutz. And then when Lutz left, we got Wolfgang in the merger, and he was our champion. He kept the dogs away, and he let us do what we wanted to do because he understood the value of the Halo cars. In fact, at one time, while we were working for those guys, we had 13 SRT products in production. Oh, my. You guys might not uh, remember this, but Jeep actually, the old WK, not the WK2 that's out now, had an SRT8 version. And I remember, and I've been told the story, so Herb, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I was told that there was a big deal about how to route the exhaust tips on that product. And because it was a Jeep, they wanted to still be able to tow with it, but the designers wanted to have center-mounted dual exhaust tips, which was something that was really not done at the time, especially on American vehicles. And I was, why, why was that? It just, it just wasn't. They were just trying to, you know basically dropped the mic and like this thing is all performance and i apparently he wolfgang came into the design studio and the design team had the new jeep grand cherokee srt8 on the turntable or, or in the studio for him to look at and the it, he was walking around it and they were getting to the center exhaust uh mounting and the the designers were sort of trying to sell him on it. you know we think it it's it's we think it says and wolfgang turned and goes it says f- you <laughs> and it got approved right on the spot. That's the story I've heard. Herb. Really? Is that correct? Is that true? That would not be out of character for uh, <laughs> for Wolfgang to say that. And in fact, that was a bone of contention about you know what we were going to do with it with the towing business. And you know our position was, and Wolfgang was with us on this. It's like, hey, the, you know, you don't tow with this. You want to tow by Grand Cherokee. You want to kick some ass? You buy the SRT. <laughs> so I mean that that was the way it went, and he was very consistent in backing us up because he understood that we got it, and he he wanted to make sure that he protected that mindset. I think one of my uh, one of my earliest uh, stories with Herb is typically, as as our listeners know, and we've talked about media will go out on press junkets, right? And we'll be at you know a fancy hotel or something like that, and I believe there was an SRT day at Willow Springs, and I was one of the journalists lucky enough to have been invited to that. And it was something like at the Four Seasons in Pasadena or, or up that way. 
And if you guys are used to like a, a, a dewy Southern California morning where it's it's nice outside, but everything's wet, including the grass. And when you have cars parked on the grass, any damage you do on a reveal like that, part of the program has to pay the hotel to fix those damages. And at the time, I had never driven a Viper. And there was a, uh, I can see where this is going. There was a friend of ours who, who ran all of it, Dan Knott, who, who has since passed on, uh, amazingly respected guy, amazing guy in the industry. And so Dan and I were talking about me having never driven a Viper before. And Does Her- this end with police? No. Oh. Um, it's actually better than that. Okay. And Herb had overheard it. And this is the first time I really got to know Herb. And Herb was the guy who you'd go to the track and he'd be like, don't be that guy. Don't hit a cone with my Viper, you know? And so you, you would see Herb was like the, the, the boss. You know, you're like, oh, Herb's coming to yell at me for something stupid I did All on right. the track. So Herb hands me the keys of the Viper, and he says, here's the deal. If you can pull it off the lawn without slipping the clutch and spinning out and ruining the lawn, I'll let you drive it to Willow Springs. Ooh. And uh, hey, hold on. What happened? <laughs> And I don't know if, uh, I guess the statute of limitations is probably up on this. You can tell. Um, I pulled it off the lawn just fine, and Herb said, you're good to go. Oh, But nice. there was a group of us who drove over Angeles Crest Highway, in, which is known as one of the best driver's roads in Southern California, on our way to Willow Springs. And I never saw a road close sign. I never saw police blocking the road. I never saw anything. What I do know is there was a group of about five to seven Trusted journalists and PR people, all in SRTs, doing about 120 on Angeles Crest Highway <laughs> the entire way to Willow Springs without any police around. And I once asked the person who was running, might still be there, running a PR at the time. I said, did you guys have that road closed or pay? He's never told me. All I know is Herb let me have the keys to that Viper, and I got to drive it at triple digits speed. And did you scare yourself? Absolutely. You know, there's nobody who's ever been in a Viper for the first time who doesn't scare themselves. That car didn't have ABS. That car didn't have traction control. That was a driver's car, and you would it, it would bite you if you did something stupid. But God, was it just unholy and amazing. <laughs> now, Herb, do you own one of these? I'm just curious. Or do you wish that you did own one? I have a 2009 VOI commemorative coupe. And I, it's the silver and black with the black wheels. It's a it's a killer car. Um, I got it shortly after I retired. Was that like so, a Rolex or something? Did they give it to you, or you just bought it for yourself? <laughs> yeah, I wish they gave it to me. <laughs> they gave me a little pin that went in my lapel that said 36 years of service. Oh, well, that's lame. I mean, it's cool, but it's lame. Uh, that's as close as I got. I now, had to so, fork over the long dollar for the car. Now, <laughs> so what about the truck? The truck, you know, Holman and I were talking kind of off air that – this thing is going to be worth some bucks in a few years. It's it's right now it's stable. I think you looked them up. What, what yeah. was it coming in at? So the low the low mileage, super clean, like under five thousand miles of the not the quad cab, the the, the single cab or the the two door was always my favorite. The quad cab had an automatic, and the two door had a Hurst shifter on a T six transmission. So that's the more desirable one. They're going for about forty to forty five thousand right now, which okay. incidentally is what they went for new is forty five. Which is amazing. Is that you, right? No kidding. You, yeah, you think of that kind of horsepower and performance. They had 500 horsepower and 510 torque, I believe, and and we're talking back in uh, 2005, I think, going for 45,000. Yeah, we're talking on four. Yeah, so to get Viper level performance in a truck, because at the time Ford sort of owned the sport truck market with the Lightning. Everybody remembers the first generation Lightning was was cool. It had a you know a, a 351 Windsor V8 with GT40 uh, intake and heads on it, that kind of stuff. 
But it wasn't until the second generation Lightning that had the supercharger on top of the 5.4. And in fact, the Lightning broke the Guinness Book of World Records. I believe the speed for a pickup truck, production factory pickup, was 147. And and Herb, we'll let you talk to the story of you guys absolutely demolishing that record. Well, you know, the funny thing was, we didn't really have the Guinness record in mind, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, we wanted to be, the, the truck's brainchild was Wolfgang. He wanted to debut the new Ram truck in the 2002 auto show here in Detroit, and he, he wanted to build a concept truck. That's how this whole thing got started. So the truck was such a hit that, you know, we decided, hey, this would be cool if we could build an ass-kicking pickup truck like this with a Viper motor in it. You know, people would go crazy. When we found out, in fact, I think the Guinness record came about from the head of our, our marketing group, a guy named Mike Stevens, who uh, thought this up in some bar somewhere, probably. And <laughs> it's usually how it happens. <laughs> we, and we said, you know, this truck is pretty damn fast. I'll bet you, we, we didn't know what the record was. So somebody looked up the record, it was like 147. And I said, you know, I'll bet this truck will go faster than that. And of course, this was all kind of, bubbling up during our development work. And Sean, I sent you the picture that my uh, senior dynamics engineer took of the speedometer when we were testing. We've got that you... and the radar gun right in front of us right now. Oh, I see this. Yeah, so I, I see the uh, the airport VMAX testing vehicle Ram SRT10, date August 19th, 2003, driver Herb Helbig, PVO vehicle synthesis. It's kind of darkly lit because it's a, a black and white LCD screen here, and it says, I think it's 150.5. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And we had done nothing but drive the truck onto the uh, under the runway and stand on it. The place where we were testing is an old decommissioned B-52 strategic air command base. So they had this horrendously big runway. It was like 13,000 feet long. So we just we just stood on it and let it run let it run right out. And it went, it went 150. And when I told our marketing guy, I said, you know, our truck's faster than the Lightning. We're going to get the Guinness guys to come down. And then they got Brendan Gaughan involved. And Did you know how fast it would go? Was that the first time? That was the first time. We and knew it, it was going to be really fast, like maybe 130, 135. But, you know, consider you're basically driving a brick through the air. Right. Did you immediately get back and go, wow, how can we make this faster? Or were you thinking to yourselves, okay, this is fast enough? I mean, because you could, oh, no. you no, could no, put no, a tonneau no. cover and some other things, you know? Think about what you're saying. This is fast enough. It's never fast Never fast enough. Well, what okay, that's what I'm saying. So, so, so the answer is he got back and they said, wow, what what so, was the conversation immediately upon so pulling into the, the pit? But let's bring it back to August of 2003. So the date on the photo that Herb provided of them on a whim going to the airport just to see what it would do, right? Right. So 150.5, that's August 19th, 2003. Okay. The story of Ford breaking the world's fastest production pickup record was August 14th, <laughs> 2003. So we're talking five days after Ford announced, the PVO Ram guys decided, hold my beer. Oh, yeah. you just <laughs> crushed them. But that's not the record. That we was their test to see. Right, that was the test. We gave them two weeks to be able to crow about being the fastest truck. That was that was as much as we gave them. And did you hear from anyone over at Ford? Did you have any mutual friends over there? No, not really. Um, I don't know if the PR guys heard from anybody or not. We were, you know, we weren't going to advertise 
what was happening. We were just going to go out and, and blow it all up. <laughs> so that's what we did. Here it was, February. So it must have been February of 04. I was invited out to Chelsea Proving Grounds, which is where they did the official Guinness Book of World Records. So we're talking a few months, what, you know, five or six months later. Mm-hmm. And it was Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl weekend, I believe we did on a Saturday. And I'm trying to verify what the, what the date is. But February what, 2nd. February 2nd. So dead of winter in Michigan. And we go out there and Herb and Dan not called and they said, hey, well, we'd like you to come out for trucking and, and watch, be the observer of the world's fastest truck. So, you know, we're going to set the record. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll get so, my plane ticket. Yeah, right. So fly out there. It's snow. It's just an ugly Michigan gray snow, ice on the ground. I'm thinking, what are they doing? Now, air density was really good that day. Sure, <laughs> sure. It was literally in the 30s, maybe even a little bit cooler. Perfect conditions, unless you yeah, had ice on Unless there. you yeah. had ice. So what was funny is um, they had their uh, the NASCAR truck, Craft and Truck Series driver at the time, the race driver who was uh, sponsored by Ram was the one who set the record. And so that truck was going around the big the oval at Chelsea well, Proving Grounds. I, I, I'm gonna pause you real quick. Yeah. You brought that up. What was the current speed of those NAS trucks at the time? W- w- how did this compare? The uh, SRT. They, they were like in the 170s or something like that, weren't they, Herb? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't really remember, but yeah, they were up there. Probably 170s is a pretty good guess. So this run ultimately impressed the driver, I would have to assume. Oh well, you got to remember it was an all production truck. There's nothing done to it, right? And so he gets in the truck and he takes off around the track and he does a couple runs. And we were on the side of the track in like a tent that they had made a hospitality tent with heaters and stuff in it. So here comes the truck and you can hear this unholy wail of this V10 just screaming at, you know, 5,500 just coming your way. Is there video of this anywhere? I'm sure there is somewhere. I mean, at the time... There there probably is. Yeah, we don't... I mean, we didn't have our cell phone. We were Blackberries and stuff back then, right? We don't have like the cool stuff we do now in our pocket. But this truck comes down the straightaway and we're right on the side and you could feel the pressure wave of all that built-up air in front of that truck hit you as the truck passed. Really? Like, physically, the barrier of air it was pushing How through. How close were you? Five feet. Like, what, the tent was right on the edge. We're on the edge of the track as he's coming by, maybe 10 feet at the most. Okay. And you could just feel that. I mean, it felt like a semi-truck was passing you at 140. But So when Herb's talking about a brick in the air, I mean, he- No, was, it's a brick. It's an absolute brick. It was a flat- Wall. Although if you notice, there is a chin spoiler and a spoiler on the bed, and I believe those were all functional, right, Herb? Oh, you betcha. You know, one of our one of our big things was nothing gets put on the truck unless it's doing its job. We had no posers in our development. Everything that was on the truck was there for a reason. And there's a there's a funny story I'll share with you guys. We picked February. I'm not really sure why we picked February, but it had something to do with the timing of the having Brendan there and, and the racing activity. And of course the air was going to be cool. What we hadn't counted on was the ice storm the night before. When I got to the proving grounds, it was sunny, but the way the track is set up, it faces, you know, the long axis of the oval goes north and south. So if you think about that, that means the sun is shining onto the north curve of the oval. But it's not shining on the south coast. And, of course, it's got a pretty severe bank to it because the neutral speed in the top lane is under 20 miles an hour. So the whole southern curve of the oval has got ice on it in the top lane. Oh. And we're like, <laughs> what are we going to do about this? Right. So a lot of the mechanics and the engineers got out there, and this is not an exaggeration. They were 
using heaters and chipping the ice off the high speed lane of the south. Like I'm telling you, chipping it off. It was cold. Icy. I get it. Like that is oh, straight, wicked cold yeah. super dangerous. Yeah. It's not. I mean, it's not like oh, it was. There's snow in the ground. It was the dead of freaking winter, and the the trees were frozen. I'm from Southern California. It's 70 degrees in February. I went to Michigan. Went. What is this place? You know. <laughs> so the truck goes by. The truck does its pass. Gets the world record, which I believe was 154. Yeah, 154, 587. 154, 587, and that beat the. Uh, the average of the uh, the lightning, which was 147.714 at the time. And what was amazing is the SRT had aluminum pedals, an aluminum brake pedal, clutch pedal, right. and throttle. The accelerator was bent from the force of the driver bearing it into the floorboards. What? Yeah, it was bent like a banana. <laughs> why? I mean, what? Just, how, why were you just, he was absolutely he was standing on it. Literally standing yeah. on it to get every last bit out of that truck. So after we did all the pictures and the fanfare and, and you know all the things, everybody's starting to, to close up shop. And Herb goes, you want to go for a ride on the track? And I'm like, hell yes, I want to go for a ride. So I get in with him and he starts puttering over to the, the edge of the track and the track manager goes, no, Herb, track's closed. No more trucks today. And, uh, and Herb's like, oh, we just want to do one lap. And he's like, no, Herb, track's closed. He goes, this is my friend Sean. He's from out of town. I just, I just want to show him the track, just just one lap. He goes, you guys don't have your uh, your helmets and your safety harnesses on? One lap, 100 miles an hour only. That's it, Herb. And Herb's like, you got it. Pull out on the track. Herb lays into it. There's all this ice. We're sideways for like the first three shifts. <laughs> We're going around the oval, and we get to the back straight. The doors are sucking off the frame. The air pressure is pulling them away from the car. What? It's so loud. Herb looks over at me, and I'm watching the speedometer, right? Okay. Because I'm like, holy crap. And it, and it says. Because I'm thinking, that guy just told you 100, Herb. Why are we doing 140, right? Herb looks over and goes, how fast are we going? And I look over and go, over 140, Herb. And he looks down, and as it's barreling through like 145, yeah. Herb goes, what are you going to tell him? And I look back at him. I go, 100, Herb. And we're at like 149, like literally five miles an hour short of what we did, what the what the world record in the same truck did half an hour ago. We're right. within five miles an hour. Then Herb stands on the brakes, brings us down to like 30 miles an hour, and he goes, now we let our time catch up to us. <laughs> well told. Well told. That, that has uh, that's got to be one of my my favorite stories was just like you know because at the time I'm a young journalist and this is like a treat to even be invited and then one of the chief engineers is like come on let's go for a little ride it was just it was awesome so Herb I really appreciated that because that was that was one of the most awesome things you I've can't done. see it Herb but he's glowing like he is glowing <laughs> he's like a, a bride who had just gotten married maybe not a bride <laughs> well, we had a lot of fun we had a lot of fun. <laughs> we had to make sure that we had let enough time elapse so then we got back and didn't know what we were doing on the backside of the oval, which is one of the beauties of it being that big. You could get out on the backside and really really get on the throttle and uh, maybe maybe no one saw you. Hopefully no one from the Proving Grounds is listening to this podcast because I might get a phone call tomorrow. No, nobody listens. Don't worry. No, no. We have no source. <laughs> and the statute of limitations has yeah. long since run I mean, out this is, that. Yeah, this has got to be, what, uh, 13 years now? I think we're good. Yeah. Yep. I think we're That's good. my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the follow-on to, to the truck was obviously the quad cab came out, and that was the, I uh, had a four-speed automatic, uh, I think maybe even out of the diesel trucks. It was a pretty heavy-duty 
four speed. But to me, it never had the charm of the single cab, like the the, the two door regular cab truck. That just with that giant donkey shifter from coming out of the floorboard. I mean, the shifter on that thing had to be like, I don't know, eighteen inches long or right. something. It was, it was awesome. It was, it was pretty big. You know, it, it took me back to the days when a lot of us had four speed cars that had bench seats in them. Remember those? Oh yeah. But you guys might not be old enough to remember that. I don't know. But anyway, they had a big long shifter with a hearse knob on the end of it. And that always reminded me of those early days of my crazy, impetuous youth driving, you know, big block cars with bench seats and that kind of thing. And that was that was quite the deal because we said early on, this thing has to have a hurt shifter. Just it's dying for a hurt shifter. If we don't do it, you know, shame on us. So we did it. And it had a dump truck clutch and the way your hand just fell right on that ball. And it was like, you know, if you get into what like What do you a, mean a dump truck? What do you mean about the clutch? It's a heavy, like, oh, okay. you know, heavy-duty clutch, right? There was a, you know, a heavy-duty Viper, Viper clutch. The whole drivetrain came, came out of the Viper because we just, you know, it couldn't just stick the engine in it, you know, be done with it. We had to make sure that everything worked properly and that we could stand behind it and the warranty was going to be, you know, what it should be, that kind of thing. That truck, I think, was the very first production truck with 22-inch wheels as well. Now you see them yes. on Super Duties and things like that. The rear tires on that truck, and it might have been the fronts also, um, they were Pirelli Scorpion Zero 305-40-22s, which was a massive tire at the time. I think the Viper, you though- You said I th- a 302? Uh, a 305-40-22, oh, gotcha. and I think a, um, a Viper at the time was a 335. So they stuffed them in the truck wheel wells, but they still weren't wide enough for <laughs> you know the four, uh, the, the Viper wheel entire package. Uh, that truck had 500 horsepower, 525 torque at 6,000 RPM from a pushrod V10. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome piece. There's a funny story about the tire and wheel combination. When the concept truck was built for the auto show, it had 20-inch wheels and tires on it. And I don't know exactly how this happened, but I was looking through some magazine and I saw these 24-inch wheel and tires, and I called up Wolfgang. In those days, we had a direct line to the top, which was pretty awesome. And I said, I got something to show you. I want to come over to your office. He says, all right, come on. So myself and another guy, one of our purchasing guys, we went over to his office, and I I walked in. I said, I got a surprise for you. He was one of those guys. Yeah, really? What do you got? What do you got? (laughs) So I pulled this page out of my pocket, and I said, these are the wheels and tires we absolutely have to have on the concept truck. He looks at it and he goes, oh, my gosh. He says, this is awesome. We must, in this German accent, we must have this on the truck. <laughs> so he calls up the styling guys. You know, and the styling guys are all done. They're like, oh, yeah, we got this all done. He says, no. He says, we must have these on the truck. Come over to my office. So we did, and the styling guys, they were pretty cool. You know, they were like, God damn you guys. You got this thing. We had it all done. Now you got it all screwed up. Yeah, but they but, knew you were improving upon it. They knew it. As soon as you yeah, look at that as soon as they signed up, they go, just wait for it. Three, two, up. Oh, here's Herb through the door. Exactly. <laughs> we were very fortunate. By the time this all was happening, the styling guys, you know, were our kind of guys. They, they understood where we were coming from. They were really, really helpful. They understood the relationship between form and function. And that form always could not take the lead. We had to blend those things together. And that's how the truck ended up. We didn't put 24s on the production truck, but we compromised from the 20s to the 22s. And, of course, that was the biggest production truck wheel out there at the time. Wolfgang was very, very happy. 
And, and, was, and by Holman, 22s are still the largest thing you can get on a truck. From a factory. From any from, dealership. Yeah, from, yeah absolutely. Right. And these weren't just any 22s. These were forged polished aluminum, and they matched the Viper at the time. And yeah, so, that's right. Very cool. They're 22 by 10s. When, when this went on sale, this truck, um, Herb, was it offered to existing Viper owners, kind of the way that Ferraris, you know, there's certain Ferraris you can get only if you're a member or that you, you're, yeah. you're an owner, or was it just a free-for-all and you just put it no, up for it was, sale? it was a free-for-all. We didn't, we didn't have any special deals going on except for the special edition truck that we did for Daytona. We did 50 Daytona Blue trucks that you had to get um, special voucher. I, I cannot imagine what those would be going for. Fifty. And I haven't only. 50. I haven't seen one of those come up on eBay or anything. I'm sure they're in the hands of mostly in collectors. And I think the run of the SRT tens. It was only like two thousand or something, right? Here, but it was really a small number. The entire model and the entire run of model years was two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. I think all total, including the quad cabs, were just south of ten thousand units. And that's it. I remember when we did a quad cab drive. Well, it's funny. We were on our way to Truckin' Nationals, covering for Truckin' Magazine, and we're on I-15. Anybody who knows a Friday afternoon, leaving Southern California, heading to Vegas on I-15, you've You're all, not even moving. Not even moving. And sure as next to us is a quad cab SRT camoed up with one of those water trailers on the back. So the, the, idea, the idea of the quad cab was that you could tow with it. It wasn't really recommended oh, to tow with the regular okay, cab. Okay, got it. Testing. You put the automatic, but it, it deadened it. It wasn't. It wasn't as playful. It wasn't as fun. It wasn't. It just wasn't the same. It was still a Viper truck with an automatic. You can fit your friends. It was fast. It wasn't the same as the regular cab. But that truck was cab. So we're hanging. We are in in this truck. It was an F one fifty Super Crew driving to Vegas, emblazoned with truck and magazine and flames down the side of it. And there are us hanging out of every window trying, trying to, to get, get these photos. And they are. We're going. It's like a five mile an hour race. And they're letting us get really far ahead, and they're like speeding up and slowing down, speeding up to try and make our photos blurry. And we ended up running the spy photo in, in truck and magazine with, uh, and we didn't know at the time it was the Viper truck in a quad cab. We oh. thought it was like a, a, a fancy Hemi sport truck version. So we got that wrong, but we did get the pictures. But when that truck came out, back to the proving grounds with Herb and Herb. I don't know if you remember, there was an SRT day there, and it was neons. Uh, which was, by the way, I know you all laugh. Oh, Neon. The SRT Neon was bad, a badass little I've car. I've heard that. I still find it hard to believe, no, but it, I've heard it. It was. And it was the quad cab SRT 10 uh, Ram. And I don't know if you remember her, but it was pouring rain that day. And they had only invited a select amount of journalists out. And the poor- We were down on the skid pad, weren't we? Yes. And the poor yeah, uh, ESI team were huddled- under tarps and canopies, and there were like four or five out on the course because there was like an autocross course set up under umbrellas. Yep. And it was, I mean, we're talking like several inches an hour where you had like an inch and a half of standing water because it wouldn't drain off the skid pan fast enough. I was out there <laughs> yeah. for like a hundred laps because I didn't care. <laughs> and Herb says, you haven't stopped smiling since you got out here. I'm like, he goes, you're the only one driving. You go, if they're going to stay down in the rain, I'm going to take advantage of yeah. it. It was, and I, was, I think I did like a 400 foot, Smoky, automatic, you know, power brake burnout in the truck. Because I had asked her, I go, hey, can I do a burnout? And he's like, nobody else is out here. I don't care. <laughs> and because it's so wet, everybody's like, I, it probably won't make any smoke. Oh, it made smoke. And I no, stood on it. Of smoke. <laughs> and it was probably the most awesome burnout I've ever done in my entire life. Any photos of it? 
I don't think so. I, I guess think everybody's pre, pre-dates, wet. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no iPhones back then. Yeah, it just it wasn't the same. We just have to we just have to tell you through our uh, our stories. So, Herb, do you think that anyone is? Will anyone try to revisit this with from any of the manufacturers? Do you do you see? Another super truck coming down the the pike anytime soon? It's hard to pick. I, if I had to guess, I would say no because the uh, as much as I hate to say it, the horsepower wars and that kind of thing, I think are going the way of the dinosaur. And there's too much going on with uh, driverless cars and electric cars and all the other kind of stuff. And the truck are like the last bastion of let's get it done, let's do it right, let's really get out there with something outrageous. But I don't see. I don't see super trucks out there anymore. Well, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's definitely the way I feel. I I mean, it could happen. I mean, you've got the the Hellcat will you know hopefully reappear in the TRX, but that's also a desert truck. Um, And you've got the Raptor with some rumors of a new powertrain showing up in that. Again, a desert truck. I just hope we haven't seen the last of the muscle trucks. Are there any around here, Holman, that we could borrow? Like, are there? do we know anyone personally or a friend of a friend that owns one? Funny you should say that, and I don't know that we could borrow. We might be able to ogle it. Um, I do know where there's a red quad cab, a neighbor of mine. Um, don't know him, but drove by his house and bought a red one and has been out polishing and waxing it. And I've seen it like four or five times in his driveway on a sunny day. And I just, I, I just... Smile, you know. I drive by and I just, I just smile. <laughs> that was the 8.3 liter V10. 8.3. It held 9.5 quarts of oil of Mobile One. That's insane. <laughs> Herb, is this the project you were most proud of having been part of, or was there something else that we should know about that you that really, uh, you know, moved you and you're proud of today? Well, that, that's kind of a loaded question. I, I think the truck. I think the truck was one of the more unique things that we did. It wasn't a pass car, of course, first of all. And our claim to fame and our history and our legend was all built around pass cars. But what the truck did was it showed that our team wasn't afraid to try anything that we thought would bring some value and bring some uh, pizzazz to the company. Because we were still, you know, we still wanted to make sure people understood what SRT was, what Daimler Chrysler was in those days. And in particular, the quad cab, you guys are talking about that. That was probably the best kept secret of all. Not secret in the industry, but people don't understand. You know, they think about a quad cab truck. And I think you mentioned it, Sean. We built it um, for towing capability. Well, that wasn't the only reason we built it. We built it because it was another step in the lunatic fringe beyond even the sport (laughs) truck. You know, people thought the sport truck was crazy. And then when they saw us do a quad cab with an automatic transmission, they thought these guys have been smoking some crazy stuff because nobody does stuff like this. And we had we had a great opportunity to really turn the industry on its ear with a quad cab truck. The quad cab truck, it actually was faster than the record of the lightning truck. It went about, I don't know, 148 149 miles an hour. Of course. With a quad cab and an automatic transmission. And, oh, by the way, it would pull, I think it was 7,500 pounds. That's great. That's just outstanding. Uh, Well, I mean, you think of it back then. So even today, I mean, obviously things have gotten a lot faster, but those trucks would do zero to 60 in 
under five and a half seconds. Quarter mile was less than 14 seconds. Top speed over 150 miles an hour. They even had an autometer. Uh, I think it was an oil pressure gauge that was in a pillar pod that was from the factory. Oh, yeah. You guys, I believe yeah. you had... Uh, the, the... That, was, that was kind of an outgrowth of the SRT Ford. You know, the SRT yeah. Ford you guys are, were talking about, it's kind of a cult car. You know, a whole cult grew up around that. And in those days, the cool thing was putting gauges on the A-post inside the car. So we said, we said, hey, we should put an A-pillar gauge on the truck. That would blow everybody's mind. And, and we did. <laughs> well, and you guys were one of the first, I think, maybe even in the automotive industry, certainly in the truck world, to have a red start button. I mean, that was really novel. Oh, yeah. at oh the time. it did? Yeah. Yeah. And what was cool oh, yeah, about that? A, I don't yeah, remember anything in those years button. that had a start button. Yeah. You would get in, and that's how you started. Only the it. Viper. Oh, there it is, right above the, uh, to the right of where the key yeah. would you be. You still put the key in and turned it, but Under you the started van. it by pushing the button. It was so novel at the time. It had a bucket bench set up so it could carry three, but the 40-20-40, is that right? Yeah, 40-20-40 probably. The 40 ends of it, the, the driver and passenger seat, were bolstered. They had like an Alcantara suede insert on it. It was really nice leather in there, but you could still throw a third person in the middle if you wanted to. They had to do the shifting for you, of course. And the gauges were silver. The other RAM gauges were white. You had a pillar, you had a 508 watt stereo system. I mean, it was, it was ahead of its and time. And again, you said it was 40 at the time, 40 45, 45, 45 grand. Yep. So it was a pricey truck back then. Sure. But man, you were buying a race car. Well, what was a Viper back then? A Viper back then was probably 75. I'm saying you were buying yeah. a race car. You, that, you were getting, like it, a pickup you know, getting it on the cheap. Here's a good, here's a good factoid for you. You know, back in the day. The Viper was all about zero to 100 and back to zero again, right? Right, yeah. That was its claim to fame against the 427 Cobra. The Ram SRT-10 regular cab, you ready for this, would go zero to 100 and then back to zero in under 18 seconds, like maybe 17. <laughs> now, wait, wait, it gets better. Oh, so, okay. As I'm, going through, as I'm going through all this stuff, trying to get – resurrect my memory on this whole thing i come across an article from road and track in 1994 it's called the zero to 100 to zero compilation of cars and motorcycles and stuff so get this the truck goes let's say under 18 like 17.5 maybe okay so that's equivalent to a ferrari f12 tr it's <laughs> faster than the lotus esprit s4 it's faster than the Toyota Super Turbo and the Acura NSX from zero to 100 back to zero. The truck was all faster than those guys. Unbelievable. <laughs> I want one and, so bad. And I feel like when it was out, I just wasn't aware of it. You yeah. know, I don't know what happened, but in, in hindsight, you're like, how could you not want this? Yeah. SRT, what? It was a special vehicle at the Here's time. The cream. Here's the cream on the cake, the whipped cream on the cake. It was only two tenths slower then the ZR1 Corvette in 94. Oh. <laughs> they ran 17.3, and the truck is like 17.5 in there, something like that. I'm telling you, in the in the very new near future, we're going to see these things 80 to 100 grand. Oh, I'll yeah. bet you. No, they'll, they'll go up a value. They're, they're just underappreciated because not a lot of people know about them. But it's incredible. I wish special. we weren't having this conversation in a public forum right now because now we're, <laughs> we're just driving yeah. the freaking price up. So I was looking on eBay the other day for them, just for fun, right? Because I, I, I'm like, oh, you know, I should I should see what they're going for. And uh, and that way we can talk about it. And I saw a quad cab. Um, 
I believe it said it had over 100,000 miles on it. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, I don't know, it was on- only like 20 grand or something like that. This is just someone who's just treating it like a truck, you yeah. know, just driving it. Here's uh, here's one, uh, the the um, commemorative version, uh, 05 with 22,000 miles, 31,000. So, I mean, you can get into them pretty reasonably. Uh, here's another one in 04 for, for the bids are up to 18,000 with 26,000 miles. Here it is. 2005 Dodge Ram 1500 SRT 10, 97,480 miles. And they were offered, I believe, in uh, the commemorative was white, but they were offered in black, red, and silver otherwise. Uh, this one, pre-owned or best offers, 20990 I'm telling you, someone needs to sw- swoop these up. I, I'm just, it, there's a lot of them on here. 109,000 miles, 79,000 miles, 134,000 miles. So people are driving them. I mean, I think you, nobody drives their well, supercar okay, 100,000 so miles, Let me ask right? you, Herb, so am I getting dinged for service? I pick one of these things up. It's got 100,000 miles on it. And so I drive it into, you know, into the dealership, and they're looking at me like, oh, I got you, buddy. Or <laughs> what's that going to look like for an owner of a $20,000 used truck? Yeah, that's a, tough, that's a tough one. I mean, the first problem you got is the dealers hardly ever see these trucks. So they know nothing about the truck. You're liable to be better off, and of course the dealers will kill me for saying this, but you're liable to be better off to find somebody who's savvy with trucks and take it if you need work done to it to somebody like that instead of a dealership. Because, they're, you know, the dealers... It's very similar to the, you know, the Viper situation. You take your Viper into a dealer and the dealer's like, boy, I don't really know, have anybody who knows anything about this in my back shop. And a lot of guys don't want to take that kind of special toy into the dealerships. And the truck fits right in that category. I would, t- I would submit to you, though, that the, the quad cab is the trick truck because it's a real truck that can be used as a truck. You know, it warms my heart when I hear you saying a lot of these trucks have 100,000 plus miles on because we didn't build our stuff to sit in garages, although we understand that people do that and we appreciate that and we're glad that they feel, you know, glad to do that kind of thing. We built them for the guys who love to drive them, just like we are. You go out and you drive it like you stole it. I know I did. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, somewhere we probably have photographic evidence to prove that. You left truck. a little bit of rubber on the ground just to prove no, it. No, you know where the rubber was? All down the side and in the wheel wells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Here's one right here. 2004 Dodge Viper SRT10 truck, 686 miles. Oh, what? On, on eBay right now. 686 miles? 686 miles. 47.5. So you could get into yeah. it pretty reasonably. If you know what you're, if you know what you're looking at, if yeah. you know what the truck is, and you know how special they are, it's not going to be with those low miles. It's not no. going to be at that price very long. No, I'm watching it. So on our next episode, we'll see what it gets sold for. I'm kind of curious, just for fun. Well, Herb, I, I got to tell you, this has been an absolute treat to catch up with you. It's been a long time, my friend, and, and I'm in Detroit like six times a year. So on one of my next trips, maybe you and I can go catch up over a beer. Hey, do it, Sean. It was uh, it was great. A lot of a lot of fun going down memory lane with you guys. It's. Uh, Brings back a lot of good vibes. Can we have you on again soon? Whenever, whenever you like. Love it. I would never get tired of the Herb stories. So uh, <laughs> he, I'm sure we haven't even scratched the surface yet. No, we, we haven't. No, we just we just picked that a little bit. We got uh, we got a few more we could share. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Thank you so All right, much, Herb. Herb. Thank you. Okay, you guys, All take right. care. All, All right, bye. bye. What are we going to into now? Oh, let's do inbox. You email, yeah. I email, do it. 
first one comes in the form of a text. Hold on, not done dancing. Oh, okay. I like your head bopping back and forth. Oh yeah, good stuff. But it works. It's like when your head goes forward, your beer belly goes back. So they're, it's, they're counterweights. You know, they what? balance it's, each other. It's like a, it's like a Smurf dancing. You no, know? no, no, like, it's not. It's it's like that. Um, oh, it's the bird with the with the with the red liquid in it. Yes, that goes back and yes, forth, like, like the, the Homer wood. on the keyboard. You know that kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly. Or uh, like at a, a amusement park where you have like that big seated thing and the big weight on the other side. It's that's that's kind of what it looks like. Gotcha. Okay, so the first one comes in form of a text message, and it says. Still listening to every podcast. Still don't know much about trucks other than they don't have much mounted parameters. <laughs> Monitor key engine parameters. But it's still a fun listen, and you two guys have great chemistry together. Oh, well, that's sweet. Love mom. <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom is still listening to you because she, uh, she used to be in HR for Boeing for like 20 years, and she's like, you know, some of the things you guys say, I just... I just don't know. And my uh, mom is not a truck guy at all. I wouldn't assume your mom to be a truck guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like she's so opposite. She's oh. so she's womanly. She goes to like plays on Sundays <laughs> and you know like all that stuff yeah. and wears flowery dresses. She's not No, uh, she's not like, "Hey, if only I knew more well, about that SRT thank you, Viper truck." Thank you, Mrs. Lightning's mom. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. Um speaking of HR, um we had one of our uh, HR ladies who listens to the show. Um, Ooh, is that good or bad? So she came into my office today, and because she's HR, I won't out who it is. Okay, uh, just because I want that, that could be. Yeah, I want to protect. Uh, I want to protect those uh, involved. And she came in. She goes, "Hey, I've been listening to the podcast, and I've got a beef with Lightning." And I'm like, "Uh oh, what did we do this time?" And I'm going through my head at like the fifty freaking things that we probably could have been busted well, for in the last couple episodes. Let me, let me think. I mean, I've. Been pretty good about bleeping all the curse words. Yeah, we've been pretty good about that. Okay, and we don't have a ton of curse words. No. Okay, so it's not that. No. Nope. Um, no. Nope. I, I. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, she says I've been listening to the last couple episodes. I'm thinking. Okay, last couple episodes. What did we talk about? And this she goes, is your head of H. Hey, this so is one of our one of our. Uh, so I signed HR, a HR talent leads. contract with your with your company. Does uh-huh. that mean that? She's my HR person? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that's probably mm. true. Okay, hold, hold so, on, hold on, hold on. We are deeply <laughs> no, sorry. No, 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 you are sorry. Oh, oh, so I don't have it. I'm sorry. She, she comes into my office and she says, I've been listening to the last couple episodes. And I have a beef with lightning. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not good. She's and, not 24, is she? And then, nope. Oh. No, she's not. And then she comes out and says... You know the uh, mounted parameters girl? And I'm going, oh, no. And I'm like, yeah, because we're talking about how she got fired and we're looking for her and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, did we cross some line with that? She goes, I'm really mad that he left us hanging because the first episode <laughs> he said that he was going to tell you. And the second episode, there's no resolution. And she goes, I just wanted to tell you that. And then oh, walk out of that's awesome. True story. But wait a minute. We did have resolution, didn't we? I guess when no. we had Jordan from Daytona truck. We can't find on, we never, He said oh. he was still looking for well, it. Well, I just, but that was kind of the resolution. No. So anyway. It wasn't enough for it her. It wasn't enough. And so okay. she scared the living bejesus out of me because I'm thinking, oh, oh what have God, we done? Because the last 
Dude, oh, heart skip the beat. Never want to get a call no. from an HR person. And when person. she walked in my office, I'm just watching end of the truck show in five, four, three, two. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's literally only two calls that you want that you, you don't want. No, there's one yeah. you want to get from the HR person when you're getting the job. Right. But then a couple no, years later, no, no other ones. No, no, that's no, it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Oh my gosh. Well, no, there is one where they say, "Oh, you know what? We've added a holiday, you know, to the or, corporate or, schedule, or you're being promoted." Okay, I've never got that. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one is from Randall. Hey, guys, my name is Randall. Oh, he says this. And I've been a loyal listener since episode number two. Nice. I don't care what everyone says. The jingles are freaking awesome. I love that you guys are both singing along in, with it in the background. I've got a 99 Ram 2500 named Adele. That's her name because that big white girl sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got an 88 Jeep YJ, and I want you guys to do a listener hangout because I live about six hours north of you up in Denaire, California. Where's Denaire? I've know. never heard of Denaire. That's okay. All right. I'm 23, and I have my Class A CDL, and I'm a certified heavy equipment operator, meaning if you guys piss me off, I'm going to flatten your house with a bulldozer, <laughs> and I'll bury you in the backyard, and no one will ever know. I'm also working on becoming a heavy equipment transport operator. I showed Lightning a few pictures on Instagram a few weeks ago. Ha! Huh? Um, you guys are awesome, and I look forward to every single episode. Again, Randall. P.S. I'm a double XL, and I give you five stars. Sweet. Well done. Well done. All right, I've got this one from uh, from Phil, and Phil says, uh, "Hey, thanks for reading my email on air. You're welcome. Uh, the latest episode had so many good interviews. I went back and looked at pictures of hashtag Project Speed Bump." Since Sean talks about it so much, and who doesn't love a good bump slide? Did you happen to buy the Mustang S197 fan blade wheels you had it rolling on a few years back from a guy in Laguna Niguel with a black Mustang? If so, that was me. No way. I remember talking about the 10 network and old Ford truck build back then, but the details were fuzzy. That was indeed me. So Isn't the that funny? 10, the Enthusiast Network, which became, right, became Motor Trend, Motor Trend right. Group. And I was looking for a set of rollers because I, I had uh, old uh, American Racing Daisies when I bought the truck. We were putting wheelwood brakes on. I had to have a bigger wheel just to roll the chassis around until we got the forge lines on there. And that was indeed me picking up those wheels for, uh, for my truck. I, I absolutely remember him. And uh, he says, anyway, for the people that keep talking trash on the jingles, they are nuts. My favorite is the Heavy Metal Innovator Motorator. Ah. So anyway, uh, he says he'd also like to suggest... Can you imagine how loud that is in your car? Oh, they hate us. You're like, what? stop it, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I would also like to suggest two more guests from the Motor Trend brand, Tony Angelo and Lucky Costa from Hot Rod Garage. In fact, I saw Lucky today at work, and I asked him if he'd want to come on the podcast. He said, and? absolutely. Ooh. Sounds like a fun time. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, Lucky uh, does Hot Rod Garage, and super smart. Guy's got more stories than uh, probably even Brett Oaks from uh, Severed Ties, who was here a while back. He says, they've done a few cool truck builds. It looks like Lucky's always doing cool truck stuff at the shop. I bet they'd get y'all more five stars. Oh, five, five stars. stars. So, Phil, yes, thank you very much. And and funny how that uh, goes full circle sometimes. We So, we I, I don't know how the five stars thing started. I guess we just started we just high-fiving started doing each it other. We're but excited. We, we, these five stars really, really help us get ahead in iTunes. And there is some competition in um, you know the automotive space. And there really aren't any other truck shows uh, that, that we're aware of. Not like this, anyway. Not like this, for sure. And we really, really appreciate um, the review, the stars. We're over uh, 215 reviews. That's phenomenal. Five star. 
Really, really appreciate it. That's awesome, it, guys. guys. Yeah. Really. From our hearts to yours. Well, that sounded mean, means a lot. That sounds like no. That's good. We we have we have, we got to show our softer side. We can't be all tough truck guys all the time. By the way, uh, Denier, California, it's a, a suburb of Turlock. So off, <laughs> off, of, off, off the ninety nine, so. a suburb of uh, a small town. Yes, absolutely. So right. Just south of Modesto. Gotcha. All right. This is from Ben. Hey, Lightning at Home, and I missed a few episodes, and I'm going back through them. Uh, listened to all of them so far. Wanted you to know that I'm 23, and I just started as an engineer at one of the big three. Oh, oh wow. That's cool. Oh, okay. I purchased, and I'm in, in the middle of building, a 79 GMC K1500 yes. 4x4. Yes. Yes. I <laughs> just you clapping. Just me clapping. Right? I've been going through all the Fall Guy episodes on my smart TV the past couple of weeks because they are all posted up on YouTube. Definitely good stuff. Keep up the good work. Five stars! Five stars! Man, all right. Uh, BJ wrote us. He says, uh, Dear Mounted Parameters, dude, and you email dance dude. He says, as we all know, Mondays are the roughest day of the week. But the past 30 weeks, I've looked forward to Monday because I know the Truck Show podcast will be waiting for me when I wake up. Oh, wow. However, this week, I didn't get the podcast until mm, after work. That's true. Tuesday. And, and by the time I was able to listen, it was already Tuesday. Not cool. But you guys killed it with another awesome episode. Being a design engineer and using AutoCAD 3D modeling daily, I love hearing podcasts about renderings, design, and engineering. Makes me want to contact one of these guys and try to work for them. I'm beyond jealous of Chase's renderings. I've never seen a 3D model look so realistic. Keep up the good work and good interviews, guys. Oh, and by the way, I love the new corny sound effects. It lessens the suckage, or at least I think so. Thanks, BJ. Thank I really you. appreciate it. And he's talking about uh, Chase over at Innovate, Innovate Design Labs, where he does uh, photorealistic 3D renderings of uh, show vehicles and, and Chase has released vehicles. a few more uh, SEMA renderings. Very cool, by and the way. And wh- I'm telling you, when you guys see these things, you seriously would think it's a real live truck in motion, fully animated. Yeah. It's fr- freaking awesome. What I was looking at it going, well, he told me that this was an animation, and I'm seeing it with my own eyes, and I still don't believe it's an animation. He still think it's real, yeah. It's not fair. All right, so this one's from Rich. Hey, guys, another great episode, and I call BS on the notion of you guys being California pompous. I'm an East Coast guy, and I get that a large portion of the aftermarket car world is in Cali, as are your homes. You are far from pompous. I think we would agree. I, th- I thank you. Um, and the show is awesome, and if someone interesting is based on the West Coast, well, then book them. This Jersey guy loves the show. Five stars and way sucks. <laughs> Rich from New Jersey. All right. Rich, thank you. Five stars. All right. We have another one from one of our regular uh, emailers, Declan. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast. I've been listening since episode one. I think you guys should have people choose between stickers and T-shirts. For those of you who don't know, we may have posted on at Truck Show Podcast, our new Truck Show Podcast stickers. And I think we will start sending stickers out. We may end up sending them both, or we may send out what we have at the time to uh, appease those of you still waiting We're for We're going to have to get uh, special envelopes because yeah. uh, Daily Visual made some very, well, tall, tall Big? stickers. <laughs> They're a little larger than we expected. I like them. I like them, well... I've already stuck them on things. Yeah, so have I. <laughs> hey, guys, the jingles are great. They really grow on you. Okay, thank you. Nice to hear. Always been both a truck guy and a Jeep guy, and sadly, now I have neither, but I will soon have a truck again. Um, I caught on late to the show, but I'm mostly caught up now. Um, I got turned onto it after hearing an ad about an interview with Aaron Kaufman. Okay, because he's always great. And by the way, that show with Gail Banks was by far the best right after Aaron Kaufman. But I will say you missed an opportunity with the icon. He mentioned a screen that came out of the dash to mounter the parameters. <laughs> oh, he's <laughs> talking about no, 
the Icon and Banks uh, collaboration on the old Dodge uh, D250. Yes, and he said there was no clip or anything. <laughs> he was a bit disappointed. Oh. But despite the disappointment, five stars! <laughs> five stars! Nice. That was from Chris. Thank you. All right. And I've got one more here. Uh, this is now my favorite email to date. Oh. I have a uh, an email here from Lieutenant Steve Hux from Georgia. And um, I read this email and it absolutely blew me away. Is and this the one that you posted on yes, Facebook? Yes. Yes. This one is really special. You and I talked about it. Um, so this is... All right. Hold on. I want to paint the picture. All right. Because we're typically bad at this. Yes. Holman's face has just changed. Yes. You're now serious. I'm very serious. You're... Heartfelt? No, don't do this because now they're not believing me. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead and read it. No, you go ahead and explain my. I'm face. just saying, like this is. It's interesting to watch you because you were you were laughing at. We were doing. No, we, we just did. We a five, were having fun. We just did five, five stars. stars. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, just yeah, did, we that did that. The last one. Yeah. But now you're about to read this, and now all of a sudden you're serious. Um, I'm serious because uh, I think the content is serious, and it makes me feel really proud of our show in a different way. Not just uh, we're growing, which we are. Not that we're becoming recognized in the industry, which we have been. And we are growing because we're eating way too much junk food. <laughs> well, I meant, the, I meant the show. Yeah, yeah, I meant the okay. show. Oh, I see. All right. So, Lightning and Holman. So I've been listening since episode one and have absolutely loved the show. You guys have definitely decreased the suckage to an undetectable level. As a lifelong Southerner, I'm even willing to forgive the occasional California pompousness. However, Holman, you have ruined my driving of my 2015 Silverado 1500 forever. Okay, yeah, steering wheel is off center. He says, sorry, lighting, but the classic throwback references are great. Of course, I've already given you guys a five-star rating. Five stars! All right, all right. He says, you actually read it on the show back in episode three. I'm a lifelong gearhead, and at 32 years old, I've owned 13 vehicles. Oh, wow. All but three of them are trucks. I'm a gearhead, and I have not known that many. Uh, That's a lot of vehicles. So for my background, I'm a naval officer stationed in Georgia and drive a- Oh, hold on. Can I guess? Yes. He drives- uh, Oh, naval? Wait, he said naval? Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Uh- Oh, I don't know. So, oh wait. Uh, so a uh, naval. So he's uh, 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 the, the the ships with the with the with the giant turrets and the guns, like the cannons. Uh, battleship. Battleship. Yeah, they don't have. How could I words. not come up with the word battleship? I have no idea, but I will tell you right now that battleships have been decommissioned for quite a while now. We don't even have those anymore, except oh, as museums. Is that true? Yes. Okay. And all right. So, oh wait, is uh, uh, a how about an aircraft carrier? That would be cool, but something even cooler than that. Cooler than a. I have no clue. An Ohio-class nuclear missile submarine. Oh. For his day job. Wow. And he puts in parentheses, significantly more difficult to park than the 1500, by the way. (laughs) Yes. They are um, 560 feet long. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I'm sure you'll be happy to know that while walking around our training facility, I've heard three separate watch teams tell each other to, quote-unquote, shut up and mount to your parameters. No way. He says, thanks for putting together a great show that can appeal to all truck guys, no matter your interest. Uh, this is where it gets a little bit more emotional for me. He says, for those who don't know, we in the silent service don't have access to things like internet, TV, radio, phones, or even sunlight for months at a time. So the only source of entertainment and relaxation are what you bring with you. And if you guys are thinking about most Navy patrols, they go to you know different ports of call and you get to you know relax. Well, the guys who are on the uh, the nuke mission on these uh, Ohio class submarines patrolling the depths, they're not popping up. They're gone. They're underwater for for months at a time. 
You'd be amazed at how much podcasts like yours can help after long days underway, and you have no idea how many actual hard copies of magazines are bought on board. Print is not dead. It's just patrolling the depths. It says, if a guy is having a rough week, just hand him a truck and her diesel power, and suddenly all is right with the world. Attached are a couple photos of my daily drivers. P.S. Large, if you have one, Lieutenant Steve Hux. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Steve Hux. And uh, Lightning, you know what time it is? Um... No. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Not it. Okay, Unless that's the uh, theme music for David Freiberger. Oh, no! <laughs> Yo! The Drunk Show! <laughs> Who this? Who the hell is this? Son truck show interview you don't want to miss. We talk to top dogs in the industry. How'd you blow up? How'd you come to be? Who this? Who this? Truck show represent. Mr. David Freiberger, it's Lightning and Holman. How you do? How's it going? It's going a lot better now that you're on the show. I got to tell you that, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. Where are you? Um, I'm up in Bakersfield, California, working on some stuff in advance of our Roadco Garage show. Got it. Bako, is there anything good in Bakersfield? Famoso Drag Strip. Oh, oh okay. I like that. That's right. a good one. Okay, yeah. I uh, mentioned to Mr. Freiberger when I saw him the other day, because I actually ran into him in person, which is super rare these days, uh, back is. at the office. And I, I told him he was our number one show to date. David, you actually go into the office occasionally? Because you can't. You're on TV way too much. <laughs> Oh, I know. It is ridiculous. I shoot almost every day of my life. Very, very close. We, David, we got a lot of stuff to get to. Um, but I'm ready. We, we wanted to first, though, find out what you're working on because you, you are, um, you're on like what seems like every Motor Trend show that I've seen, um, which I love because I can't get enough of you. I find you entertaining and really informative. I'm, oh, I don't, maybe I'm a fanboy. I'm yeah, not as quite I say, sure. you should probably get a, uh, a restraining order because uh, no, it's not that crazy. <laughs> right. Jay's got hearts in his eyes. It's, no, it's freaking don't. me out. Listen, just, listen. I'm not going to go camp out in front of his house or anything like that. Thank God this desk is between us because uh, you are going <laughs> creepy, my friend. Are you the one that's been sending those letters? <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. No. My lawyer told me to stop. <laughs> so I do Roadkill, Roadkill Garage, Roadkill Extras, which is our every single weekday show, and Engine Masters. So yeah, between all that stuff, I'm super, super busy. And which one do you enjoy doing the most? And be honest. Um, well, all of them. I like doing Engine Masters because we shoot that thing in batches. We'll shoot like for five days straight and do five episodes and be done for a long time. So every time I get to do that, it is something new again. And I love just geeking out on the engine stuff. As a matter of fact, there's a new one tomorrow that is all about my land speed racing engine. So that one's kind of personal. I just watched your, um, I don't know how old the, the episode was, but it was when you went to Australia. And that was a really entertaining show to watch. No, that is a documentary called 200 Mile an Hour. That's what it was. Okay, I, and, I'm, and I'm saying, like, because you, when I pop up my Motor Trend On Demand, you're literally on everything. So I just I just <laughs> cherry pick and I just landed on that. I thought, oh, 200 Mile an Hour Club. That's really interesting. And I watched it. It was a phenomenal, like, mini documentary that had me, yeah, had those, me captivated the, the whole time. did an awesome job on that. They, they really did. I, I can't be blamed for the quality of that show. <laughs> um, me and my Bonneville racing partner, Keith Turk, and we had a friend from Bonneville who had shipped two cars from the United States all the way down there. And, uh, Ooh, I take it back three cars from the United States all the way down there. And he invited us to come drive because like 10 years ago, we shipped our race car down there. And once it arrived, the event rained out and it was not like it was actively raining. It's just that the salt was too wet to run on. And uh, so we loaded up our car and shipped it back home. And that was about a $20,000 oops. Oh. <laughs> and so 
this guy invited us to uh, come on down and drive his car, and we both got in the 200-mile-an-hour club there at Lake Gardner in Australia, which That's is, awesome. let me tell you, the middle of nowhere. You drive 100 miles on a dirt road to get to this salt flats that is eight times as big as Bonneville. It's pretty amazing. Are people towing trailers and stuff down that road? Well, these this guy drove a semi truck the whole way, and it is washboard bad. I mean, you gotta nut and bolt check everything when you get there because it is torture just getting there. And you almost got rained out again. The look on your face when the rain came one afternoon, you thought, Uh-oh. "Oh no, I'm gonna live this nightmare twice." I really did. I thought that Keith made a run and he got in the club and then I was going to make a run and and the storm came in and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) But I got it done. So it was. Well, you were saved because the sun came out the next morning and the conditions were better than the previous day. I I don't want to give away the plot of the whole show, but if you guys have Motortron on demand, you should definitely check it out. 200 mile an hour club. And it's a a really, it's it's a fun piece because you got, you got to watch two guys kind of live their dream and accomplish uh, two really important goals yeah thank you very much no that was a a cool thing to do and hopefully we're going to make another documentary about my current goal which is to get in the 200 mile an hour club at el mirage dry lake which in my opinion is the most difficult place to do it it's It's just not that big yeah yeah, it's a mile and a third on dirt it's like driving through a plowed field and you got to go 200 plus miles an hour and set a record in order to get in the club there and so is that david is that all horsepower what's the magic to el mirage um luck because you got to get a good track and you have to earn points in order to get at the front of the line because after you know 100 plus cars have gone down literally it is like a silt bed at the Baja 1000 oh okay. easily so. and it gets into everything it's funny if if anybody's yeah. curious about El Mirage uh, back in 2012 uh, when I was at Diesel Power we broke a world record at El Mirage yeah, for towing a trailer. <laughs> towing a trailer. 141 <laughs> miles an hour. 141.99 towing a trailer with a like 1,500 horsepower Duramax, 2,500 HD. But what's cool about it is you're talking about the silt and everything. If you That video is on YouTube on, and on the Motor Trend channel, World's Fastest Tow. It's a downshift episode number 38 for those who are interested in following it. Watch the silt coming off of the El Mirage dry lake bed and watch the vortices coming off the trailer. It is fascinating to see how bad the aerodynamics are when you're oh, yeah. towing a trailer. And you know that dirt in the race cars, it starts building up in the car. By the time you're at the finish line, you actually can't see the ground. You're looking up at giant orange balloons that they set up for us that you can see above the silt. It's oh my crazy. Gosh. So are you wearing like a Parker pumper or what? How do you breathe? You just inhale a bunch of dirt. Um, <laughs> your, your engine too, I'm sure. Yeah. I've been 194 backwards at El Mirage twice. It is not a good program. It's very, very difficult to do. And the key is actually weight. You know, a lot of people think of race cars as being super lightweight, but you're not trying to overcome inertia out there. You need to get the traction. And uh, so we run skinny tires and a ton of weight to get our contact pressure up so that you can dig through the dirt and lay the power down. And El Mirage isn't exactly the smoothest track out there either. I mean, if you get a uh, a monsoonal flow or whatnot, it'll it can get pretty lumpy. Now, wait a minute. Yeah. So, am I thinking of the same place? El Mirage is where they used to land the space shuttle back in the day. Is well, that, is that no, different? no, no, no. That, that actually, yeah, no. <laughs> that's okay. Edwards Air Force. Yeah, that's Edwards but it's, Air Force. But it's on okay. the way there. So, if you're on your way up 395 toward uh, Kramer Junction, Boron, California, yep. it's it the is, west side of that. Okay, it is west of there. Exactly. Anybody who's watched TV ever has seen 
10,000 car commercials recorded up yeah, there. Yeah, either El Mirage or Johnson uh, Valley at the Dry Lake. Those are the two places yeah. every every uh, Dry Lake bed commercial has ever been filmed ever. There's 100,000 music videos shot at El Mirage, too, because it's just a freakish place. It's a big, flat expanse of hard-packed silt. And so what are you going to – what are you what are you driving out there? What's the what's the whole program? Um, we've got a 80 Camaro that we've run at Bonneville a bunch. I think I've set eight records in that car there. Um, maybe more than that, actually. And we've also run the thing in Maine, in Texas, in Ohio. You know, Freiberger needs he needs one of those USA maps that you put on the side of your RV, where you <laughs> yeah. add this each state that you've raced in. Yes, <laughs> that's it. Yep. If you don't mind me asking, who's footing the foot in the bill for this thing? Because this is your your little race career is pricey, my friend. Uh, this is expensive. This is the most expensive short block I've ever put together on my own dime. It's ridiculous. The car we've had for 15 years, and so that's sort of amortized. But this engine, yeah, it's a lot of money. And so did you build it? Who built it? And, and have you gone out and gotten sponsors? Because, I mean, I would assume a guy no, like you could no get sponsors. No? Okay. No. Um, you know, I've had some help with some companies. I mean, friends at Holly and Comp Cams, JE Pistons, AFR Heads, those guys have helped me out, not always with free stuff, but with, uh, you know, long deal. But that still leaves a lot of money to spend. Yeah, you're talking about um, the short block. And- you still got to build the thing up. Well, here, I'll, I'll just go ahead and give you a number. This is absolute insanity, but the short block alone on this thing, and it's just a small block Chevy, cost me $10,000. Wow. Um, that's more yeah. than I paid for my 67 F100 by a lot. <laughs> exactly. No, it's just, it's stupid. And, you know, a lot of people these days do the turbo on an LS thing and go, hey, look, I've got 1,200 horsepower. And you do. And it's amazing. It's just that I need to be able to run this thing not only at El Mirage but at Bonneville where I am wide open throttle for about a minute making about 1,200 horsepower. And so I I don't want it to kick a rod and start a fire and kill me. David, are you out there against just a bunch of rich dudes that are doing this as a hobby or is it a lot of enthusiasts that have put all their blood, sweat, and tears into this or is it a combination of both? It is a combination of both, definitely. It's getting harder and harder to set records because more people are doing it these days. And and it's easier to make horsepower than ever. It's really, it's the car that is the challenge, figuring out the suspension, the weight. And aerodynamics is more important than anything. And how many people have, uh, you know, like, they don't have wind tunnels at their disposal? No, guys, the, the rich guys are definitely spending money in wind tunnels. And it well, actually, I should throw out this factoid. We're so off the, the plot of trucks right now; it's ridiculous. So I'll just <laughs> go into uh, streamliners. So the Vesco family, who has a long history in land speed racing, oh yeah, um, they just went out there with their Turbinator at Bonneville at the SCTA World Finals here a couple weeks ago, and they actually had a, a flying mile time of 493 miles an hour and an exit speed which is a 132 foot speed trap of 503 miles an hour oh, with from wheels a wheel driven vehicle yeah. yeah oh my lord and that that was the new record for that class for a wheel driven vehicle right i honestly don't know if they backed up the record but as okay. far as a one way pass yeah that is the fastest anybody has ever gone powering a car through the wheels. And people may be asking, you know, again, we're, we're off topic of trucks, but who cares because we're gearheads. People may be saying, <laughs> well, how else would you do it? Well, if you're thinking like the jet cars that have yeah. custom-made steel wheels and things like that that, that aren't going to fly apart at speed. Well, that's what I was right? saying. There's yeah. no rubber tires that would you know be good for over 500 miles an hour, right? Or are there? No, I believe this thing has aluminum wheels on it that just the tire is the wheel. 
This gotcha. Is crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I have a good friend of mine who uh, we call the fastest man at Bonneville without a bike. Uh, my buddy Timbo and Timbo Horton, and he um, did a oh oh he's legitimately in the two hundred mile an hour club. But we're talking about aluminum and, and land speed records and stuff. He was on a Buell uh, from Nolan Racing with a uh, and I can't remember what class he was in. Uh, he had done a pass at two hundred and seventeen one way, I think two fourteen the other. But he was out there on one of the one of his trips, and the aluminum swing arm and they're meticulous about the vehicle showed no sign of fatigue, but broke in the middle of his run, Ooh. and he yeah. left left the bike at one hundred eighty miles an hour. Excuse me. Yeah. And Scooter Grub has pictures of the whole sequence of the swing arm breaking. So I mean, you're you're thinking of these like harsh racing environments. You really have to know every nut and bolt and every component of the vehicle. But you know, there's a picture of Timbo flying through there, literally at 180 miles an hour. Like, and Superman. what ha- you're, yeah. you're you're just you ragdoll. What happened? Well, yeah. So he it was fun. Well, it wasn't funny. I guess it's funny now because he's okay and you know we joke about it now. But uh, he had bought a uh, used set of leathers, and uh, he says, "Yeah, you know, I was flying through the air." And I hit the ground trying to figure out what was happening, and I went, oh, this isn't that bad. And I was just sliding forever, and then the bike landed on my arm. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And so he had rehab so. and pins, and his arm had to be rebuilt, and he was out of it all for probably a good three or four years. Um, but he he's a legitimate 200-mile-an-hour guy. I think his top speed was 217. What goes through your mind, David, when you're out there? Right, and it was interesting, not to go back to this documentary, The 200-Mile-An-Hour Club, but... You know where every button, you know where the extinguisher button is, you know where the parachute the button fuel is, cut off. the fuel cutoff, and you were your eyes were closed, and you're reaching up above your head going, fuel, you know, the bum, button <laughs> yeah. one. Use button the two, force. But, yeah, yeah, and you you knew where everything was, but I couldn't I couldn't put my head inside of yours thinking, like, what is, are you nervous? Were you scared, anxious? Um, I get very, very focused. I I strap in the car early and I sit there completely 100% strapped in. And like you saw in that documentary, I'm just practicing muscle memory for everything that's in the car, you know, touching everything with my eyes closed. Because if you're in a big fire, if the thing's full of smoke or if you're backwards and there's a bunch of salt in the car, um, you got to be able to know where that stuff is. And I. I get race face. I really don't like it when I'm strapped in the car and people will come up and want a jawbone with me. It's like, I'm good talking in the pits, whatever. But when I'm in the car, I'm ready to do the job because you know, you're, you're about to go out there and like in our Camaro, I've been 261 miles an hour in that thing. And, uh, guys die. So, you know, you want to be as put together as you possibly can. What's the fastest truck you've ever been in? Um, Reeling it back to the trucks. Um, <laughs> we have to at some the, point. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, here, in, instead of answering that question, I'll throw to this. So, friend of mine, Wayne Jessel um, of Jessel Valve Train, if you've heard of that, he has a truck out at Bonneville that is a, a Ram crew cab short bed. And I think it's like an 06. So, what generation is that? That's two generations back or one generation back. This thing is enormous and it has gone almost 300 miles an hour i think it's been like 287 <laughs> wow yeah and, and that's insane. fast insane it's got a uh, a nascar engine in it twin turboed and uh it's it's out of control i've driven some of wayne's cars at various venues and stuff but not that one and i don't think i need to <laughs> well we just had herb helbig from uh from uh, srt talking about the ram the viper truck on and uh herb was telling us about you know reliving the day where ram went out and set the world's fastest production truck record of 154 and then herb took me out there and we hit about a 149 150 and, and that's in a, a modern safe production truck 
and at 120, the doors start pulling off the frames and start sucking yeah. out. And weird things are happening. I mean, I can't even imagine what a truck at over 250 must be like. I mean, that's just that's another world. So you're talking about the Viper truck that is like 2004, that yes. era, when they first came out with them? Okay. Right, yep, exactly. All right. I have a story to tell about this. I wish that we were actually on the phone together with that guy so that we could uh, confirm or deny uh, what I'm about to tell you. So circa 2002 or three, I'm in Red Magazine. Dodge comes to us. and They're like, you know, we want to give you a project vehicle. We're like, you know, bitching. Uh, it's going to be a Ram truck. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't have anything to do with a Ram truck. This is Hot Rod Magazine. And so we sat around the office and we're, we conceived a Viper truck. And I had a guy, an artist named Chris Hickman, draw up what the Viper truck would look like. And we pitched it to Dodge and they were like, great, awesome. You know, we're going to get you a drivetrain. We're going to get you a truck. So two weeks later, we get a phone call. Yeah, that's off. We're not doing that. Like, okay, what do you want to do? They're like, uh, we don't know. And Sean, you might be familiar with what ended up out of this, which is that black flamed Dodge yes. with, it came, with the 426 Hemi in it. Yes. Okay, so we ended up doing that. But lo and behold, about a year later, here comes the production Viper truck. And what does it look like? It looks exactly like the illustration that we had handed in. And so... Dun, one, of dun, two dun. Things, one of two things happened there, and the unlikely answer is that we gave them that idea and they decided to go for it. The more likely answer is they already had that going on, and we handed in our drawing to one department, and then another department got wind of it and was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. you cannot have Hot Rod Magazine releasing <laughs> that before we do. Exactly. So. so Herb was telling us that the whole point of what they did was – the concept truck, and it was a Wolfgang, who you remember at the time, yep, was in charge of sure. all the, the fun stuff. And Wolfgang wanted the concept truck to be debuted at the Detroit Auto Show to basically launch the new redesign of the uh, of the Ram 1500. And so he was telling us that they were sort of tasked to put together, and then the response was just so off the charts, uh, he said, we need to build it. And everybody was like, really? We can? So um, kind of funny. I'll, I'll, I'll call her back and I'll ask him if he uh, knows anything about the hot rod story, because that would have been great to ask him. And like I said, it's highly unlikely that we actually invented that truck. But I've seen many cases at OEs where one department isn't talking to another oh, yeah. and you get permission to do something that gets shut down by somebody else. Like I might have uh, later. I might be able to corroborate that. Uh, that may have happened to <laughs> yeah. us more than once in the magazine world. <laughs> exactly. So you guys are in uh, what season seven of Roadkill now? We just wrapped season seven. We're going into season eight. Oh my eight, gosh! Which, oh my lord! You know, Finnegan and I just like can't believe it. We look at each other. It's like really? Do we got renewed again? <laughs> seven years? Well, it's funny because you think of all the all the wacky crap that you guys have done over the years and i was watching some of the season seven stuff so i think obviously being a truck guy my two favorites were the 66 econoline van pickup with the uh, 289 road trip but then the 440 and the samurai from the junkyard and i oh, mean that was the best uh, and so let's i want to talk about that a little bit because there's sort of a running theme at the show where we've had a ton of listeners ask us what about samurai should i build one are they cool and we're like yeah they're cheap and they're fun go do it but this was such a different take on any samurai that's ever been built and i was watching i've just what watched, did it what did they put in it again a 440 wedge motor <laughs> and a big block uh, yeah motorhome <laughs> and it's just like they're just beating the ever-living crap out of themselves over the whoops and desert and they're just laughing and it's funny because the samurai obviously body on frame 
very short, so it's not like you have a lot of leverage between the wheelbase to fold anything, and they're just whopping on it. And I, I can't tell you, like, the number of times, like, I caught myself laughing out loud and then had to look around to see if anybody was watching me and wondering why I was laughing because <laughs> well, I was having fun with you. That's actually the most watched episode on MotorTrendOnDemand.com. Is it really? <laughs> I can see why. Yeah. It was just so over the top. Um, I actually, I think Samurais are really good, and that's coming from a diehard Jeep guy. Sure. I mean, they're, they're a cool little vehicle, and they're becoming collectible, unfortunately. It was far enough gone that it really didn't matter. It had been completely gutted. It was really nothing but um, two axles, a frame, and a body. There was nothing else on it. And yeah, we just sawzalled the firewall out of the thing and put a 440 out of a Dodge van into it and blasted it around. The drive shaft, I think, was like... 13 inches long. (laughs) (laughs) Where is that thing today? Do you have any idea? Uh, Yeah, we have it in our Compton storage facility. We've got a whole bunch of vehicles collecting dust out in the storage. It's got to look like a freak show in there. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, it totally does. It's like all of God's roadkill mulligans, right? (laughs) Yeah. uh We're going to have an event in uh, January at Tucson, the roadkill zip tie drags, and we're actually going to auction off some of our old vehicles because they're just too many of them stacking up. People will hear that and freak out. It's like, I can buy Stubby Bob or General Mayhem. No. No, we'll be getting rid of the turds. <laughs> <laughs> they'll still get you. They'll still raise some good money. Study Bob is pretty <laughs> iconic at this point. Will you give it to charity, or is it is it uh, line somebody's pockets? Uh, I would like to give it to charity. We'll see what the company is down for, but I would say we fully amortized the cost <laughs> yes. value of. What do you currently have in your stable? Is there any? Do you have any trucks? I know you've got your JK. Is there anything else that's uh, that's in the David Freiberger personal collection that we'd be interested in? Yeah, I've got two 67 C10s, a short bed and a long bed, and uh, I have a 99 Ram that I actually ordered new that's a V10 five-speed 4x4 regular That's a cool truck. Yeah, it's actually sort of become interesting over the years. Yeah. Uh, What else do I have truck-wise? I mean, I've got- This is like the Ram V10 episode, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, is it? Because of the Viper truck. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) I've got Jeeps stacked up like cordwood. Um, Who has more Jeeps, I, you or Payway? Payway, yeah. <laughs> How many, are you talking five or 15? I have, let's see, Scrambler, TJ, M38A1, three or four flat fenders, JK, Grand Cherokee, WJ. So, yeah, I think I just rattled off eight, something like that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What was your most embarrassing uh, truck purchase? Do you look back and say, why did I ever put myself in that in that truck? Okay, I have a crystal clear answer to this one. (laughs) I'm a chump. You know, my whole deal about buying and selling cars is buy high, sell low. So I came across this. (laughs) Buy high, sell low. (laughs) Buy high, sell low. I came across a 78 Chevy 4x4 ambulance. This is the ultimate camping and towing vehicle. It had low miles. It had a big block. It was like pretty cherry. And all the creepy medical stuff was gone from it. So it was just like an open back in order to haul. It just had the outline of a body in the bed. I was going to say, did it, did, <laughs> but it, it did it weird you out that there had been dead people in there? Well, I don't know if anybody died. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But anyway, I, I paid a fortune for this thing. I think I paid ten grand for it. I was like, gotta have it. It was like the most money I'd ever spent on a vehicle. Gotta have it. This is going to be great. And then 
it turns into an absolute disaster. I didn't do my homework, and for whatever reason, this thing was not, in fact, a K-30. It was a K-20 that somebody had put dually adapters on the back. Ooh. And it was way over its GVW rating, and it was just a turd. It handled like a nun carrying a refrigerator. It was just a mess. And so... I tried to get rid of it forever and ultimately sold it for three grand. So oh, oh, buy high, sell so low. Bad. Did you put so Did you put That's any money into it before you decided to uh, rid yourself of it, or did you? No, just... fortunately, I did not put any money into it. But that was just the absolute worst private reflect ever. <laughs> I have a question for you. What do you think was the worst truck ever made? Worst truck ever manufactured? That's got to be like some Russian something or other. Um, <laughs> but as far as American trucks, wow. People ask me that about cars, and I go straight to the Geo Metro convertible. Yeah, the three-cylinder. The three <laughs> it was like the, the, the Geo Metro. I remember I had to rent one because my car was in an accident. I had like uh, rental insurance. Okay. And so I go to the uh, to Enterprise, and they're like, here's your Geo Metro. And you're like, no, yeah, but a convertible, awful. Even really bad trucks are pretty good. That's the thing. I mean, love trucks were cool in their day. I mean, Datsun 620s were considered garbage when they were new, but those things are awesome. And they're still out so, there. There's still ones that you'll see every once in a while too, out out running down the highway. It's weird. This gets me into the Honda Ridgeline, the world's best truck. Is that is a a David? Is it a truck? And B? Is it the world's worst truck? Uh, okay. Are you familiar with a Powell? Do you know what that is? No. A Powell was built in Compton, California, and it was a truck that had almost no body lines. It was made almost entirely out of flat sheet metal, and the the chassis and drivetrain of it was a Plymouth passenger car. And this, we're talking 1952, three, four. So those were pretty awful. <laughs> okay. Uh, Holman's got it. Oh, I have. Well, no, I've never seen that. What it looks like they had in bed storage way before everybody else did. Here's uh, here's one from the, I don't know, the fifties with like uh, storage coming out of its uh, bedside. It looked like a unibody. Uh, so oh, yeah, are, are, are yeah. you saying that that's in contention for a worst truck ever built? Uh, they're pretty bad. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like that's the precursor to the Ridgeline. So my argument is the Ridgeline's not a truck. It's a pilot SUT. Well, how about a uh, Crosley pickup? Look that up. A Crosley? Now, I, I know the name Crosley, yeah. but their truck, not familiar with. There you go. Let's take a look at this. Okay. There you go. The Crosley pickup. Oh, I've yep. seen I've seen one of those before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's ugly. Yeah, that's that's pretty hideous. That looks um, almost like a a. a a Peugeot or yeah. a on top of a wagon. Yeah, a like little old, red, red, little red like wagon. An old like three hundred two Peugeot. Why? How do I know that? It's, Only because my grandfather used to collect Peugeot. Oh, he's a Peugeot that, guy, which yeah. is a whole side it's conversation. Ugly, cool. So, okay, how about this one? I'll throw this one back at you. Is an El Camino a car or a truck? Car. Yeah, it's a car. Car. My my definition is a cargo space separate from the body. Because in my mind, a p true pickup truck is designed to do work. It should have a frame, and it should be able to flex so that your cargo doesn't tweak your, your unibody. So, so, in my opinion, it's car. a 61 Ford unibody is not a truck. Correct. And, in fact, I really? was just with uh, Aaron Kaufman uh, looking at it, and I think those are the, what do they call those, slick sides, I guess? I just, I like the way they're styled, but I... It sounds like David is taking issue with your I, theory, I know, though. I, I get it. I get it. I, I don't know how you claim it's not a truck. It might be a bad truck. <laughs> I mean, El Caminos have frames. 
Yeah. Honda Ridgelines don't. We just don't want it to be a truck. I think that's what it is. So is it the frame? Yeah. Maybe it's the frame. Maybe that's what sets it apart. You're going to have to well, do some more research. Well, there's all kinds of but... trucks that don't have frames now. You're calling a Jeep Cherokee XJ not a truck? No, XJ's not a truck. XJ's a wagon that has some awesome 4x4 parts on it. Okay, well then how about an MJ, which is a Comanche pickup truck? Which I love those, but the thing about the MJ is they took an XJ that has the, uh, the unibody, and they sort of made it a frame-like appendage that shoots out of the back for the bed on an MJ. I love MJs. I freaking think they're awesome, but it's not, not a truck. A, still not a truck. Mm. It's a Jeep. Not it's a, a Jeep. Truck. Jeep with a bed. <laughs> Although the bed is separate from the. Oh, here's one for you. It is Ford Transit, right? Ford Transit full size van, unibody, right? Yeah. Sprinter, yeah. Unibody, right? Yes. Except for the chassis cab version, where they take the unibody front, hack the back off, and put two big long frame rails. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Interesting. So I don't know. Is it a truck or not? I'm just, we're so conflicted. I know. I mean, we're doing a show called the Truck Show Podcast, and we can't even we can't even decide <laughs> and kind of so, d- define what a truck I'm is. Driving, your definition, that is, must have a full frame, and the bed must be separate from the cab. And, so and I, think, pickup truck. I think it also has to have a longitudinally mounted uh, engine, so it's not front-wheel drive base like a <clears throat> Ridgeline. Those, okay, are my, well, those are my three. What if it's two of the three? It could be unibody, <laughs> longitude with a frame, and then the six... This th- equation is getting a little too complex. Then the four unibodies are in, yeah. right? Right? So maybe that's what it is. It has to have two of three things, and that is longitudinally mounted drivetrain, a cargo open cargo space separate from the body, full-size frame. It needs two of those three. That's a truck. That's what okay, I'm going with. Okay, so what's your definition of an SUV versus a crossover? They're all the same. Yeah, see, that's, that's, that's really blurry. <laughs> the, the, mar- the marketing minions have totally muddied those waters. That's as blurry yep. as the uh, the dust in El Mirage. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's just... Uh, yeah. Do you appreciate the technology in today's trucks, or do you prefer simple of yesteryear? Well, that's an easy question, because you can appreciate something and then not need it in your life. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that sounds right. like a cop out to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, and I'm not asking you to throw like a potential sponsor under the bus or anything like that. What I'm saying is, for your own personal, you know, use, do you prefer a brand new Ram six seven, which is just gorgeous inside, has every creature feature, or do you prefer, you know, a, again, a, a truck of the 50s, 60s, 70s? I would take a new Dodge Challenger with all of that stuff in it, but for a pickup truck. I think my 99 Ram is that generation's about the cutoff of when they started having too much technology. And I'll say this. What is going to happen across the industry when every touchscreen in every car in America starts failing? And those vehicles are going to be junk as a result. How long does an iPhone last? And we're counting on those things to control our vehicles. Well, we can tell you that a podcast computer lasts about 13 years because <laughs> yeah. we just replaced ours. I'm really worried about that. Seriously. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can control on these touch screens and eventually they're going to go bad and the parts are going to be obsolete. What happens to the rest of the vehicle? Well, yeah, you can't, won't be able to turn your uh, seat heaters on. Can I bring this up? I, All right, so we're, ta- we're talking about technology, and I know David's going to have an opinion about this. So we're always talking about fossil fuel vehicles, and, and, you know, and the tech sector is, is talking about batteries. And you know, the, the diesel industry really gets uh, blamed for polluting and whatnot, but no one is talking about all the pollution created with, with all these lithium-ion batteries um, and these hectares of land that we're, we're, we're digging up to find these you know rare earth minerals and then the fact that we can't ever get rid of these batteries once they're made do you have an opinion about the future and batteries and big rigs and like all that because there's so many 
conversations to have, but really it's just about, are we going so, in the right direction? So uh, the audience should Google like Freiberger Prius editorial column. Cause I wrote a column a long time ago about why I believe that me driving around, I forget what car I use. Let's say my 71 Roadrunner is more environmentally responsible than buying a brand new Prius. And people are like, how is that possible? But think about all of the manufacturing pollution equity built into my 71 Roadrunner was amortized long ago. It's gone. It's not affecting the world. And I'm still driving that car. Whereas the manufacturer of the Prius and the shipping it across the ocean and then the shipping it across the United States and then the disposal of it. I think it adds up to more than driving an old car, car around. Now, the, the bad part of that argument is that if everybody did it, we'd have pollution days like I did when I was a kid where you cannot see your hand in front of your face. So that's the fallacy of my argument. But it is also the reason why I feel okay driving my old cars around. I like that. I do like it. I, I'm, I'm good I with, that agree with that. I feel like he's uh, he's thought about that. This is I've the been first time. Right. You have been through it before. So, But we're headed down this path. Whether we all, you know, there's whether half the world agrees with you or not, it's the direction we're going. Has anybody asked the question, do we really want self-driving cars? What is really the value of that? Why do people want them? Um, I'm going to say, and, and this is my opinion, because I and I'm not I'm not in this crowd, but I've sat many an evening in a hotel room staring at the ceiling, pontificating about the state of the enthusiast. And I really think part of it is the culture kids are brought up in today. When we were kids, we had to use our bikes or cars as transportation to see each other and to socialize. And now they just do it on their phones. And it seems like a lot of kids are are not excited about driving, as you know, um, and are waiting later and later in life to get their license. And even my daughter's like, I'm not going to drive. I'm like, what? Dude, I have a 16-year-old son, and he has really no interest in driving. Right. And he has, and a, he has his permit right now, right? And he has, he has and a, a car. Permit, and a car that his his, yeah. his grandmother gave him. It doesn't and care. It is a, a great little Scion. I put a new stereo in it, rims and tires. Still doesn't care. Nope. Just it's And I have to tell him to go wash it. So here's my theory. My theory is that for kids who are growing up in that environment where they don't have gearhead parents, stuff, they only see traffic and the difficulty of my, getting from point hello, A to B. My son, my son Ha, is has a gearhead father, you know, and and yet it it's he would rather sit and play video games yeah, well you, with his headset on, talking to a friend right. thirty miles away when he could be at their house hanging out with and, them. And, doing I, it, and right? it drives me crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, let's go to his house because so, I'm already talking to him. Self driving cars is and Ford's talked about it. They will buy what twenty? I think they said twenty twenty one or twenty twenty four. They will introduce a car that has no steering wheel. And my whole thing is, you know, for people there, you know, I can see it for handicapped or for parents trying to move their families around, a pod comes up to your house, picks up your family member and takes them to wherever they need to go or whatever. But I don't want to see that. I'm not okay with that. It's Well, it's, and uh, once again, it's like how many times does your computer crash a day and you're yeah. going to trust that technology in a car? Plus, that also means we're now at the point where there is a human being programming in the parameters that decides who lives and dies in an emergency Well, the perfect situation. example. So people don't think about this, but the reality is – if people are programming cars and you get to a point where the car has to make a decision, whether it whether it crashes yep. or whether it you know turns right or turns left, when you have the car deciding who lives or dies, does the pedestrian is about to cream or the car in the intersection about to cream or is it the person that car is carrying 
gets to live or die in an accident. And now or you have an al- algorithm. Or the school bus. Exactly. And now you have an algorithm deciding life or death for people to be involved. And I'm just not okay with that. Right. Yeah, accidents happen these days, and everybody understands that human beings make snap decisions, and they're sometimes wrong. And it's awful, but it happens. Whereas if there's a company programming in that life and death decision, that's just a new moral level. Right. And people don't think about it. We're getting deep on the Truck Show podcast tonight. <laughs> but, but this is important stuff. This is stuff that people don't really think about. Now, they don't think about it now. I think people who are on the forefront in the industry, in technology, in watching technology take over from enthusiasm, that's where they were thinking about it. But I think the average consumer is, you know, autonomous cars are sort of a curiosity, the autopilot on a Tesla or whatever. But eventually that is going to be, quote unquote, mature. And then it's going to be there. And then we're all going to go, how did that get here? How is the robot deciding if I'm going to live or die? Well, and I'll tell you the answer that I have heard people say to that question, which is overall there will be fewer car incidences and fewer car fatalities. And so, therefore, the ones that do happen will be fewer but sort of kind of okay. And my answer to that is humans love blame. Right. You want to be able to take someone to court, and is that going to be the programmer, the car company? And how are they going to carry that burden? And how is insurance going to handle that? And how does insurance handle that? How do you assign uh, – well, 100% of the blame would have to go to the car manufacturer because that's sure. who was driving the vehicle. And then does that make cars more expensive because built-in has to be the liability for the company to cover those costs? And so now cars are more expensive, and they don't even have pedals or driver interface, right? I, I'm assuming that's – So we're talking about people who drive Priuses currently. Those people are more apt to want a – I believe they're more apt to – Or Tesla. Or Tesla. They're going to be okay. They're the first that will be okay. Early adopters of that type of technology. Of that technology, right. Whereas a truck driver will be the very Very last. last. He will say, you can yank this steering wheel out of my cold, dead dead hands. In fact, you guys know Jim Morrison, who is the head of the Ram brand for North America. Jim's been on the show a number of times. One of the conversations he and I had like two years ago is like, when he moved from Jeep to Ram, he he and I were talking about the state of trucks and the state of the Ram and and what do we need, you know, Ram uh, to be competitive. And he said, what type of safety suites do we need? Do we need blind spot detection and rear cross path detection and things like that? Do we need automatic braking? Do we need adaptive cruise control? Because adaptive cruise control is really sort of in that gray area. And I, you know, my opinion was, well, if you already have that that technology in the company, there's going to be people buy it. You should do it. Um, Ram and I believe Ford both have those in the F-150 and the Ram 1500. Uh, the new GMs do not have adaptive cruise control in it. Very interesting, the hmm. different philosophies. Although GM has that technology in the parts bin at the company, and they have that. Just choosing not to use it. I just, I guess, I guess so. So it's just interesting to see who's deciding to step forward. And at what point, I like adaptive cruise in, in traffic because on my 30-mile, hour-and-a-half commute, it's nice for the car to just do its thing I have to steer. I don't want it anywhere else. Yeah, I don't but mind see, it now, but you're already getting, I know. Yeah, you let it in the door. I know. I got it. I, got, I totally understand. We all love old vehicles. I got my 67 F100. Uh, Freiberger owns a museum collection of uh, tapestry of all sorts of old metal. What happens when all the autonomous cars are on the road and we're not allowed to drive anymore? Or do they hand us a transponder that we have to plug into our old vintage iron 
so that the autonomous cars know where we are and that we're a human. That what, sounds like, reasonable. That sounds more you likely. Know, you take a transponder and you screw it to your license plate or something like that, and then the autonomous cars know that you're an un- unknown in their algorithm. <laughs> and then well, how many I, a-holes I, are going to be out there screwing with autonomous cars? Like, I bet a you're, lot. You're like cancer, you know what I mean, with the white, <laughs> all the white blood cells trying to get you out. Yeah, right? I could see it ultimately becoming illegal because the police don't want you out running them. They'll probably have electronics where they can just shut down any car that they need Ooh, to. Ooh, that's a good one. No more moonshining for you. We are painting a right. really scary future on this podcast. God, okay. I hope it happens when I'm, like, dead. <laughs> Let's talk about puppies. <laughs> I like puppies. Hey, so uh, I went to Newfoundland for the uh, GMC 1500. Hold on a second. He didn't really mean let's talk about tr- puppies. I was, just, I was just trying to. I was just trying to change yeah. the subject to something more cheerful. Well, shifting gears again, we were talking about um, in Alaska on the 4th of July, People launch cars off a cliff. Oh, dude, and somebody... I was so bummed about. No, I was in Alaska, and I when and you I was, missed it. When I was in Alaska, yeah. I missed it by just a couple. But of a reader wrote in and said that Freiburger had done something with the roadkill. Or it was is that true? Yeah, we did a roadkill episode on it. It's uh, the episode before last. We went up there Fourth of July, bought a couple of old demo derby cars, <laughs> fixed them up, raced them around up there. You can do whatever you want in Alaska. Was it that the most truly... awesome thing ever? Uh, oh, dude, you have no idea how entertaining it is to fling a car off a cliff until you've actually <laughs> I have died. an idea. No, hold on a second, Holman. These are not little, these are not like 20 foot. I think the cliff was no, what, like a couple hundred feet, right? Yeah. 300 feet. And so it, they have a really interesting, I saw this episode, and it's a really interesting system by the way. If, um, was it a single? It's a, a railroad, railroad track. track. Season yeah. seven, episode 83, for those of you keeping a score at home. So there yeah, e- explain this railroad track and how did it work? Because at first I remember you were skeptical because it was off center. It wasn't straight down the middle of the car. And it's been- no, at first it was a complete cluster, and then all of a sudden it was genius. So they actually weld this, like, uh, imagine the slot car that you had when you were a kid. It's like that kind of arm sticks off the front of the car, and it's about, I don't know, it attaches to the railroad track maybe six feet in front of the car. And it's on an arm that goes back, and it welds on to the steering. And you're like, why would it weld on to the steering? Well, it helps keep the car straight. It doesn't let the wheel flop around. And so these things sail down this track, and they leave the cliff at like 45 miles an hour. Oh, and it is incredible. There was an XJ that got launched. It landed dead flat and pancaked, and it was the most violent thing I've ever seen. It shook the earth, and when it was done, the XJ was about, I don't know, three feet tall, three and a half feet tall. Just the the power of inertia is amazing. That's the one thing, David, that unfortunately didn't come across in the video. You had to have been there, I think, because... We at home were watching. We couldn't feel the thud, or you know that that right you the just, visceral. Yeah, and I know, yeah, that and I, was my but career. I, I that's can, what you heard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could tell that there on site, you guys were feeling it, and I just wanted that so bad to come through the speakers of my TV, and it didn't. Oh, I'm yeah. so jealous. Yeah, when I when we started watching videos, and then somebody said, "Oh, there's a roadkill," and I, I I didn't even see it, so I have to go back and watch that. That's that's my bad because. But I it's was... funny to watch the crowd. Explain the crowd because they're really kind of unfazed. There's like, oh yeah. Yeah, we do this every year. Oh, but there's a thousand people there, and it's a giant party. It's awesome. And it's in the middle of nowhere. It's in Glacier View, Alaska. Is that by Fairbanks? Or is that, that is that outside of Fairbanks or, um, or, or Anchorage? In, yeah, we flew into Fairbanks, and I let's just assume that's where it is. It's in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and it's just this guy's property. And after we finished launching all the cars and everything, we're all packing up, ready to go. And, and he's like, 
here, I got something else to show you. He takes a bowling ball and basically packs it into a homemade cannon with like legit gunpowder and everything. And he fires this thing straight up in the air. And I'm telling you, it went above the clouds out of sight. Where do you run? If it's going straight up like, and you can't see it, where the hell do you go? And when it comes back down, it whistles like, you know, a bomb on a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It is crazy. Hey, David, when you're out on these adventures, so I have two questions. One, I want to know about your, your favorite adventure. And two, what's the craziest thing you've found? Okay, just did a deal where we went from our event, Roadkill Nights, which is on Woodward and Pontiac, Michigan. We actually street race on the street on Woodward legally and 40,000 people show up and it's chaos. Well, we have uh, Matt Hagen and Leah Pritchett who are NHRA Nitro stars and they bring out their funny car and their dragster and do burnouts on the street, which is crazy. And we set up this yeah, we set up this deal with NHRA where they let us bring one of our cars to one of their national events. And so we put together our Dragwar, which is a 74 XJ12 with a small block Chevy and a blower on it. <laughs> and we drove that 800 miles from Pontiac, Michigan to Brainerd, Minnesota and got to race heads up against Matt and Leah in brand new Dodge Challengers at the NHRA event. It was just it was one of the greatest <laughs> oh, things you've done. What is the craziest automotive thing that I've found? Uh I don't know. There's so many freak shows out there. It's well, I mean, like, have you been on a on, on you know like a, a an abandoned you know farm or something and found where you thought, oh my god, I found a million dollar car or anything like that, or I found a truck that I've always wanted, anything like that? Um, that is a good question. Like barn find stuff. I don't know if I've ever found my own barn find. You know, Rick Payway from JP Magazine and I, he and I have been on a lot of. Uh, trips out in the middle of nowhere the cool things that we found is old abandoned airfields and military bases as a matter of fact we're in oh, alaska so once. Awesome. yeah we were driving uh, a flat fender jeep from phoenix to fairbanks on the alcan highway and with this was before cell phones and so i'm looking is that at you and payway yeah, me and Payway. Yeah. So I'm looking at a map because we don't have cell phones. And I'm like, dude, I think there's an airfield right here. And we ended up just hanging a right off on this little, little, tiny, overgrown road out into the woods and opens up to a clearing. And it is a World War II airfield that still has hangars standing. It still has a, a what do you call it, motor pool, everything. And it's just abandoned. And we found a drum of diesel fuel unopened that was stamped 1942. So, oh my god, oh, that's so you know, cool. there's a bunch of those out in the uh the California desert. Now the buildings aren't necessarily there, but there's a bunch of old dirt and concrete uh strips. So it's fun to go out and you can actually uh find old aircraft crashes, especially where we are, because go drive a couple hours north to the Edwards Air Force area where they were testing a lot of the X planes and the flying wings and all the cool stuff that came out of there. And there's scars all over the desert of of experimental uh aircraft that have crashed, and I've sort of made a hobby out of marking the GPS coordinates and reading uh, some historical archives. So when I go out to the desert, I try and find one or two crashes when I'm out there. Now, do you enter that in Wikimapia? Do you ever, are you I have ever a, on Wikimapia? Well, no, I have a private thing because the problem is is when you go out there and you tell people about it, they'll go and steal stuff. Oh. And here's the thing about military aircraft sites. 
there's a road to every single one of them because they had to bring the heavy equipment to come recover the plane. Oh. And so where there's great, you know, there's some that are well known, like where the X-15 crashed um, out by uh, Red Mountain in Johannesburg. Um, there's a B-25 uh, Mitchell that crashed out by Boron. So there's a few that are known. And if you, they do a pretty good job of cleaning up, but you can still find pieces of aluminum and titanium. And it's just really fascinating to come across those things. Do you know aviationarchaeology.com? I don't. Maybe I should uh, go visit that. It is exactly this, and it is like every wreck everywhere, and with the details about what is left behind and GPS coordinates and everything. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm totally going. You know what? <laughs> uh, Lightning and I have been talking about because he wants me to take him out to the desert. Let's find a couple of And places. not kill me. Just go for a ride. Just, yeah, just, yeah. Go, just go fast and have fun. Just maybe a little screaming. Right. Uh, but let's go find one of those things, and we'll have a little bit of fun because it'll give us a mission to do while we're out there. What's it called? Historicalaerials.com. Between 48 and now, the U.S. government photographed from the sky every inch of the United States. No and way. it's available on a searchable database here. Like just yesterday, I was because, you know, you and I are about to go to the SEMA show in Las Vegas at the end of the month. Oh, yeah. I just happened to look up the Las Vegas Convention Center and found out that in like the 50s, there was a horse track under it. Like where it is was a horse oh, track. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and you just get to find out stuff like that by looking at all these aerial photos. So I'm curious, and uh, we I put out on our socials uh, questions for for uh, for listeners to ask you. But I'm kind of curious, what's the question that you're most asked when you're out and about? When somebody recognizes you, or, or what? What do they want to know? What's the number one thing? And maybe we can change the question for you because we'll tell everybody what the answer is to, to that one here. Well, it's nonstop. How come you're not on YouTube anymore? <laughs> well, the there's one. that. Yeah. Because they want the you for free. Thing. Right. Yeah. By a long shot, because they want us for free. And the, the worst part about it is I don't have an answer to that because it wasn't my decision and I can't change it. And so you, you basically tell people that and you hate to pass the buck and go, I don't know, it's not me. But <laughs> You know, sort of true. So we'll go through a couple uh, a couple questions here. So uh, Rambo1776 wants to know if there will ever be a roadkill nights in California. We are talking about doing a roadkill nights uh, west of the Mississippi. I would even say west coast-ish. Think Arizona, Nevada, California. So awesome. let's go with yes. Awesome. And is that – hold on because I don't know much about this. Is this like a ticketed event? Uh, roadkill nights is in – when we do it in Pontiac, Michigan, it's held at a one of those country club racetracks called M1 Concourse, and it's gated. And I think it's ten bucks to get in, or five bucks if you live locally. And so, yes. Uh, okay, so Mafia John says, uh, out of all of your cars, Mafia John, Mafia John, <laughs> he actually has written to us a few times. Okay, out of all of his cars, uh, trucks, four by fours, which one gets polished? and taken out for date night with the wife. Okay, this question assumes that I ever see my wife. Right, well, there's, there's that. <laughs> I am never home. No, we don't cruise the old cars around. My wife is actually not into it. I mean, we'll go places in my 71 Roadrunner just because that's kind of my old car daily, but uh, I don't know. She's not particularly down with that. I'm much more likely to go out with my kid. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Tukizona says, where do you keep all of your rides? Not specifically, I don't want them to disappear, but man, you right. have a lot of rides, and in SoCal, no less, storage ain't cheap. Okay, this is the second most asked question that I get in oh, the interesting. entire world. I've, okay. I've had this like my, my entire professional career because I guess I'm well known for having a whole lot of cars, and people think I'm rich because of it, when in fact I'm broke because of it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> True and story. I, so where do I save, where do I store them? 
uh, I've got four or five at my house. I've got Jeep bodies in the backyard, much to my wife's chagrin. I have three storage garages that I rent, and I've got about uh, eight or nine vehicles up at Steve Dulcich's place, who is the, the guy I shoot Roadkill Garage with. And then I've got at least four on Payway's property, and I've got one in Denver. So they're just <laughs> they're scattered. When's I've got the, one in Tucson Dragway. When's the last time you forgot that you owned something? <laughs> um... Just now, I remembered that I had one at Tucson Drag. <laughs> 38, 15 seconds ago. <laughs> oh. All right, here's a good one. Uh, how about behind the scenes to Roadkill? Will you ever do like a tour of all your personal cars and a little more insight into who you guys are in the real world and not just on TV? You know what? So much of the stuff is ours or is entangled with our stuff that you've kind of seen it. I mean, you guys do a lot of behind the scenes that like extras, which which is just you kind of just riffing, which I really enjoy. Yeah, those are it, cool. it is. It's I call it mind barf. It's just they point the camera at me and I say something and they air it and people watch but, it. By the way, gratuitous but, mind barf is opening up at Warp Tour. <laughs> yes, for, they are. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. People really see most of our personal lives. I, I got to tell you, I keep my family off of the Internet and off of video. Um, Finnegan has had his wife and kids on his social quite a bit. I don't do that. But aside from that, you pretty much see my life in, in social and in our shows. Literally. All right. We have a Stone Dunn says, uh, when, you know, obviously you do guest hosts on Roadkill, and so it's not always Finnegan with you. He says, when will we see Dulcich and Finnegan do a Roadkill? And if you could change anything about Roadkill or any of the other MTOD shows, what would it be? There was a lot of pressure in our old management regime to have more hosts on Roadkill just so that the whole thing wasn't anchored on me and Finnegan. And that's why you ended up seeing uh, Payway in one, uh, Dulcich is in two, Tony and Finnegan have done two together. But we've got a different regime now, and we've been talking through Megan and I were talking to each other about next year, it's probably going to be just him and me. Um, it really so, should be, though. I mean, it becomes about yeah. you guys as much as it is. People, listen, people want familiar faces that they like. Yeah. They like, they, they, they latch onto your personalities. It's, it, it look, we'd find out whether it's, whether it's a serious engine building or it's like American Chopper style, people, and, and it's whether it's two guys screaming at each other or two guys having fun building an engine, they want the personalities. And shows without real personalities fail well, 100% of the time. Here's the other thing. We actually had a lot of people write into us and ask, hey, I don't see Finnegan. Are you guys in a beef? And then it's like, no, no, no. Finnegan lives in Georgia, so he's not always out here. So this is a great answer to that question because I think when people see you without Finnegan, they assume, oh, my God, but the Roadkill Empire is coming to an end without you two together. Uh, that drama has gone on since roughly episode three. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Why don't you have a beard? <laughs> That's an odd question. I, I look really old with one. <laughs> That's why. Okay, next. Um, will you guys be doing any meet and greets for fans at SEMA outside of the SEMA show for people who happen to be in town? Uh, not outside, no. There is an event coming up at SEMA that is called Velocity Live, where they have uh, what I understand it to be is just regular people, fans, not industry insiders who can come to this show where there's Q&As with all sorts of, of hosts from Velocity and Motor Trend shows, and we're going to be in that. What I don't know yet is how people can get tickets to that. And if they want to follow my social media, I will announce that once I know. And by my social media, that means at David Freiberger, F-R-E-I-B-U-R-G-E-R -E -E on either uh, Facebook or Instagram. Awesome. And one last one, which is my favorite uh, my favorite question from all of our uh, listeners. What brand of flip-flops does he recommend? 
Oh, well, the only ones that I wear are Quicksilvers. There you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're, the, they're the basic, I think they call it the Carver model. It's just uh, your standard cruising model flip-flop. And as One soon as this airs, they'll shoot. all sell out everywhere. Uh, yeah, probably. I, I have to endorse rainbows. I love my rainbows. But I have also <laughs> owned the uh, same Quicksilver uh, Carver model. You're not a Senec fan? No, no. I, I, uh, okay. that's like, I feel like those are new. Like, rainbow's been around forever. And, man, their warranty's good. And I can get, like, a year and a half, two years out of daily rainbow wear. So... I buy that and FlexFit hats on Amazon by bulk. Me too, FlexFit hats. Those are the most comfortable freaking hats, and I, I hate the, the snaps on the back or the adjustable. I love my FlexFits because they just go on, and I don't I don't. You lose know, David, I have, a, I have a clothing store, and I have a corporate account, so if you want me to just float you some, they're, they're, not, they're not that expensive. I'll send you a couple dozen. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I wear the garment-washed low-rise FlexFit. That's the key. All right. All right we're, we're writing, he's writing it down garment. right now. <laughs> Washed. This will be uh, this will be our Christmas present here. Head XL XXL. You can't just get the large. XL. No, no. There's SM, ML, and LXL. Right. And I'm the I'm the uh, I'm the ML. And so you must be the the LXL. Uh, no, I am the XL dash XXL. Whoa, XL. A lot of brain power going on in there. XXL. Your noggin is not that big. So seven and five eighths helmet. Okay, so yeah. here's here's what we're gonna do. No, we're I have a get friend him. though with an eight. Let's so. get Freiberger the, his hats for Christmas. Yeah, except they'll all have the Chuck Show Podcast logo on it. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> <laughs> all right, David, thank you very very much for spending all this time with us. Uh, we could have you on every single show. We wouldn't because then you'd be bored. Yeah, but it's- but we will have you back because uh, <laughs> you for some reason keep coming back and we really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. No, I was uh, having fun. I really enjoyed the part where we were arguing about definitions on vehicles. I, I can do that again. <laughs> okay. All right. For the next show, we're gonna we'll we'll, we'll play we'll gamify it. We'll uh, we'll figure out some other ones we can argue about. Bridge line, yes or no? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Will it? It's it is or right next well, round. Make sure you play him our uh, our game show music. We should do that. I don't think he's heard it. Well. <laughs> we're standing by. We're ready for you. We're ready. We're ready. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the morning zoo right now. No. 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 no, 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 no. Wait. Wait. Hold on a second. Wait. Wait. We are deeply sorry. <laughs> We're sorry. We're sorry. We're so sorry. We're sorry. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> That's how we apologize anytime we get a complaint letter or call the morning zoo. Is we have oh, to play God. that little drop. <laughs> All right, David, you are the best, and you know it. Uh, no, I lost track of that, but thank you very much. <laughs> well, you're we're good. here to reaffirm it, and uh, sorry you're in a hotel room tonight to stare at the ceiling and pontificate about the uh, the future of automotive enthusiasts, but we appreciate oh, you. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to go eat Taco Bell, so it's good. Oh, oh perfect. Dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. Taco Bell's good. So sorry. No, Taco Bell is <laughs> no, good. No, it's not. I had a friend. No, Del I had a friend. Taco is good. Del Taco, Taco is good. good. Yes. It's, and I had a friend oh, who worked. Oh, at, no, no. Del say, Taco's real food. I had a friend who worked at Taco Bell. Told me what goes into it, and I can't stop. do it. I am also. You know for a fact that I am a Del fan. I do know you're I, a, Del I am a Del fan. I always will offer Del over Taco Bell, but Taco Bell is fine. It's you get emergency the Doritos Crunchwrap. That's or whatever like saying McDonald's is fine when you can't find a good burger place. McDonald's is almost never fine. It is. It is emergency food. Taco Bell is emergency food, but. I live in Orange County where the resurgence of Noggles is in uh, effect right oh, now. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. That's They're, a good deal. But if no one knows what Noggles is. Uh, well, if you're a Dell fan, obviously Freiburg. Uh, we know what it okay. is, but no one outside of this area knows There are it. two Noggles, and I can go get Noggle stuff. And the guy who bought the trademark and got sued by Del Taco yes. and won it, he, uh, Christian Zyberth, he actually went to people 
who originally worked there and and made all the recipes the same. So it's noggles of yore. Wow. How about that? <laughs> the Truck Show Podcast. What happened? I don't know. The Truck Show Podcast. It's all we, gone sideways. Hey, listen, we love cars. We love trucks. We uh, love food. Wait, Holman, hold on a second. We are deeply <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're sorry. I have better junk food trivia. Did you know that Doritos were invented at Disneyland? No way. No. Google it. What? Wow. Yep. I know. That's why do you think they call it the happiest place on earth? I have. I have no. Normally, I have a, like one piece of minutia for every subject. I don't think I can counter with anything on this. I, no. I think you I've cannot. been stumped. No. The Dorito Disneyland one is key. Freiburger wins once just, again. Just, just let it lie. Just let it breathe. Right. Let him in, let him bask in the glory right. that is that. But when trivia. he comes back, I'm going to have minutia ready. Irrelevant. Probably not. <laughs> All right, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Fiverr. All right, cool. See you, brother. See you. Holman, is there news in the world of trucks? Oh my god, so much news this week. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Okay, now go. This is when you start. Okay, here we go. (laughs) So everybody's super excited about the 2019 GMC Sierra 1500 and the uh, 1500 Silverado with the Duramax 3-liter straight six. Yes, they are. Somebody leaked a little uh, document. Somebody leaked a little specky-specky on the web this week. Oh, who did? Uh, What? Oh, so somebody- Your company? No, but we were fast to uh, pick it up on the newswire. Okay. (laughs) So uh, uh, the fast lane truck apparently uh, found some documents, and uh, the turbo diesel engine. Remember, Tim Herrick said he wasn't going to let either the eco diesel or the Ford beat them on power, but he was unwilling to tell us what it was. Yep, two eighty two four fifty. Two eighty two four fifty. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of torque. That is strong. Um, supposed to get twenty eight miles per gallon with the uh, with the ten speed. Well, when I ride my 10-speed, I don't get any kind of numbers like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, uh, my legs are tired. No, no, 10-speed automatic transmission. What? Uh, although I'm a little bit disappointed, the leaked document said that the uh, towing, the tow rating on it would be 7,800 pounds, which is awfully low for that class. So we don't know how much of this is true and how much of it is maybe somebody is just playing Making with the media. It up. Yep. Don't know. So as of right now, we're going with 282,450, 20 miles, 28 miles per gallon, and 7,800 pounds of towing. We'll uh, wait to see in the next couple of weeks when the official numbers are announced to see how far off we are. Okay. And then did you see this week that uh, Nissan released the one-off Ultimate Service Titan XD for American Red Cross? Uh, no, but I need to know more. Yeah, we'll put- Oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. It's only for American Red Cross? Cause, yeah, so, so that's- One-off vehicle. Our buddy David Page over at uh, Fluid Peak Collective- Yes. Uh, in collaboration with some other groups, created a, a 48-inch stretch- Titan XD Cummins truck, uh, crew cab with like a uh, what would normally be on the back of a uh, like Overland camper, and okay. put it on the frame rails of the truck to basically help the American Red Cross with uh, disaster recovery. Oh, look and, at that! That is rad. Yeah, how cool is that thing? Um, has a Icon suspension lift. It's running big tires. Uh, it's got it filled with. Uh, Someone is going to want to buy this Titan immediately. Yeah. It wouldn't, without the Red Cross logo on the side. So d- describe what this looks like. 
So basically, it's a uh, a Titan that's been stretched 48 inches between the wheels. Uh, the obviously the cab part of it. it's like a chassis cab Titan. Think of it that way. Uh, and then there's a a like a Overland camping type module on the back. Uh, it started out life as a Titan XD Midnight Edition with a five liter Cummins in it. Uh, and then on the back is a uh, like a utility type compartment. Uh, it has a couch, a desk, a mobile kitchen, generator, solar panels. Basically, it's a place to uh, host or run relief and recovery efforts in like a disaster area. Um, also has uh, first aid uh, kits and all that kind of stuff. We're going to have David on in a future episode to talk us through this build. He's uh, So on one hand, I, I want to congratulate him on making something that's really cool for the Red Cross. That's awesome. But on the other hand, I'm upset because I need this to go to market because that is awesome. That truck is – that would find its way – that would be a huge hit at Overland Expo. Well, it's, it's – the thing's unbelievable, and it's got uh, – you know, Icon 3-inch lift, it's got um, Icon wheels and Nitto Rich Grappler uh, tires, and it's got a rack and uh, Baja Designs lighting and a Titan fuel tank, 75-gallon fuel tank for that thing. Oh, wow. So, uh, so you're going far. Yep. And the mileage is already good in that truck. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that thing is awesome. So we'll have David on to talk more about it, but um, thought that was worth talking about this week. And then we also have the Ford Ranger horsepower and torque numbers. Oh, wait, what? I thought this wasn't going to come for a while. So the drive is in December, so I'll be able to talk to you guys firsthand. But I thought that December. we weren't going to have these numbers until December. No. Well, they uh, they Again, re- it leaked or something. Well, they, I think they actually released these officially. Oh. Um, so I think we're good there. So the uh, the Ranger has the 2.3 liter EcoBoost four, which okay. you're familiar with from the Mustang. Right. Uh, it'll be 270 horsepower and 310 on torque. Uh, it'll be able to haul. It's respectable. Okay. It'll be able to haul 1,860 pounds. And tow seventy five hundred pounds, and if you're wanting to compare it to the market, the uh, the Nissan Frontier four liter V six is two sixty one two eighty one. The to- the Toyota Tacoma three five is two seventy eight two sixty five. So it beats both of those trucks. And the Ranger's most obvious competitor, the Chevy Colorado, has a little more horsepower at three oh eight, but less torque at two seventy five. So um, the towing is is right in there, super competitive. I'm excited to get in and drive it. I obviously having owned several Rangers in my past. I'm excited for the new truck. So hopefully uh, I'll be able to uh, have a truck review for you guys oh, here what? in a few weeks. Truck review. But don't get too excited. You can't get too excited because we're not doing it now. No. We're gonna do it in a few weeks after oh, I drive the Ranger. You suck. Oh. Oh, show's Marathon! Over, Marathon! Oh. Uh, was that our longest show? I'm not sure. It was uh, damn we haven't edited close. It yet. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Packed Thank full you, guys. Of goodness. Thank you for sticking with us Chocolate all the way goodness. through. The truck show. The truck show. The truck show. Oh, oh. All right, here's the thing about email. You owe us one. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that, that's the deal. The show is free, so just send us an email. That's your payment, okay? Uh, also, your payment, please. Five star review, thumbs up. On whatever platform you listen to, please uh, give us a positive rating so that we can continue to uh, have more of you. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Have more of you? That <laughs> well, sounds like we're giving birth to people. No. What I meant was if you uh, give us favorable reviews, we yes. show up higher in the charts and then more people come. Okay. Yes, that's true. And so for a free show, that's all we ask. That, that is true. Yeah. And also, I, I listen, we don't ask for much except that you buy a Titan from Nissan. And you go out and put a decked cargo management system in the bed. Those in the are the only, yeah. And you give us five stars. I don't think that's too much to no, ask No, those for. are small asks. Yeah, very small asks. Very small. You know, I'm curious if anybody has listened to the show and gone out and either test-driven or uh, bought a Titan because of us. If so, we're owed a commission. 
or an email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> and don't forget our socials at truckshowpodcast. And uh, man, I hope you guys are still listening to us because that was a long show. I have a favor to ask. All right, go. Not not of you. Oh. No, of our listeners. Wait, wait. We already asked them to buy a Titan. We already asked them to put a deck system in the back and to go on their phone and give us five stars. I have a simple one. Please share our show. To all your friends, either uh, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, help us grow this thing. That's what she said. Ha, 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 ha.